Oh, it's a great day today. A wonderful day to be on three and out. The Braves a lot. The Mets, not a lot. Last night uh, there from uh, SunTrust, the whole thing was beautiful. You get up a couple runs, it rains, the Mets get to feel bad about themselves for 30 extra minutes or an hour, and then you go out and just beat the brakes off of them. Love it. Now you got to do it again tonight. That's the beauty of the big series, Ben, is you can celebrate, but you got to turn around and do it again, but you draw within four and a half, and we talked about it yesterday on the show. It's put up or shut up time, and at least in game one, the Braves put up. Now you still have Scherzer and DeGrom dangling out there in games three and four, <laughs> but the point is yep. you didn't want to get swept. Nope. You didn't want to come out and let this thing go from five to eight, nine. Then it's really over as far as the uh, division goes. You just need that Jorge Soler. We're still here. Don't forget about us. And last night just laid it on, and uh, again, masterful performance. Spencer Strider mm-hmm. continues to, uh, to look good. The young kid, Grissom, continues to look good. Ronald Acuna starting to figure it out uh, and look like himself again. Man, what was not to like about what went down last night? All I'm going to say is this, Kevin. I know I know. I want BJ Ben is always talking about the market correction, 13 runs. That's a lot of runs. I'll take it because <laughs> this is why you'll take this. Kevin, we've been saying this. The Braves, what they did in June, incredible. Was able to carry that over into July. You know, you talk about Grissom. You talk about Michael Harris. All that stuff comes to an end when, when you look at what the Mets have done, both series when they had with the Braves. Last night was a, man, we got the, we need, we, the Mets wanted to prove that they are still the beast in the NL East. The Braves, like, no, no, we, we are here, and I know that, quote, we control our own destiny in the wild card. We ain't using no wild card stuff, and you said it. This is a psyche game, because if the Braves don't come out and win that game, you start saying, well, dude, maybe we just can't beat them this year. Now, I know we got, they got three more games to go. But you got to appreciate the fact that, like you said, Kevin, look, misery last night, you know, was purchased and owned by the Mets. You can have it all. Rain delay, you got to sit there and all this. And then when when, when uh, I think um, uh, Ronald Cooney Jr. had that, uh, you know, it was supposed to be a, you know, just a routine fly out. You know, let, you know, left fielder couldn't find it. I said, uh-oh, everything is going to the Braves. And sometimes, man, we just want to be able to just release some of this frustration because the Mets have been very frustrating to the Braves. They got a big win last night, still got some games coming up. The Grom and Scherzer, that doesn't give me a lot of, you know, that doesn't give me a lot of, uh, well, give me some poise with those guys coming. But but one night, everything went the Braves' way. Truist did what they were supposed to do. Grissom, I mean, he, he just continues to show why he is who he is. If you needed a hit last night, you got your one last night. Can you carry that momentum in the game, too? But I will take a big win for them. Yeah, Bravo. and great to see Grissom just continue to be so effective at the plate. I mean, patient at bats, uh, at bats where whatever's needed, he comes through. If it's a double, if it's, you know, advance the runner, just been great on all fronts and really enjoy watching him play. But you mentioned it came from everywhere last night. Acuna, three for five. Like Kevin said, he's getting hot. Dansby, three for four. Getting that average back up closer to 300. Darno had a home run. Contreras had another home run. Rosario had a home run. So he's getting hot. I think uh, what it was Darren Ruff who came in. The Mets kind of gave up and you know brought in a position player to to pitch. So the Braves were able to uh, take advantage of that. But it's about momentum. It's about making a statement. It's about an exclamation point win. And yes, I say this all the time. I'll say it after a, a game where you score 13 runs. 
Uh, every game counts the same. So if you win 2-1 to one or 13-1, to one, it's the same in the standings. But I think you made a little bit of a statement. I think you were embarrassed a little bit in New York City. You were not With at good reason. Yeah, you were not at your best. The Mets were clearly the better team. And for large stretches of that series, it was not close. Well, guess what? It came back to Atlanta, and at least one game in, the opposite has happened. Atlanta wins going away. Atlanta wins with, I think everybody in the lineup had at least one hit, Ben, to your point. And then you have some guys with two and three. Strider out there doing his thing. That ERA almost back down to three flat. Uh, you had uh, just a, 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 what, a six or seven run, like fifth or sixth inning, somewhere in that mid to late inning range. It was great to see. I think it sets a tone. I think it answers some questions. I believe in momentum. And, yeah, it's been the law of averages and the runs and all that stuff. Look, I, we'll see. I mean, the Mets are like 17 and four in their last 21, even after last night. So I would think a market correction for them is coming as well. But the Braves have now won seven in a row. Kevin, I don't, Ben, I, how do we know what to expect from Charlie Morton tonight? I don't know. But given who's coming up with uh, Scherzer and DeGrom, I think you need to get this one tonight. I think you, I think you need it tonight. Yeah, look, this is a big series. If you want to have a chance to win the division again, I don't think you can rely on this Mets team to fall all over themselves and take a huge slide. I, I, I just don't know that that's going to happen. you got to make it up as best you can head-to-head. That's why last night was huge. And this is a, a organization, I think, the Mets, different from previous organizations where Steve Cohen is like, huh, we need to spend some money? Fine. There we go. There's a couple million. Just throw it at it and throw out the problem. I mean, again, you've got a billionaire owner who has basically said, I will do whatever it takes to win a championship. Mets? Haven't won one since the 80s. Everybody else in the East has won one since 2000. Mets haven't won one since the 80s. Your little brother, whether you want to say you are or not, your little brother in New York, Yep. you haven't won a championship in a long time. You have a history. I mean, they are the baseball version of Clemsoning. I mean, are they not? Can we say that about Clemson anymore? No, no, but, yep. I, but as, well, as, well, the, well, as the verb Clemsoning, exactly, yeah. you can. Because that I'm not saying it now to describe the current Clemson team. I'm using it as the verb that came into you know common usage. Clemsoning, i.e., you, you, you let things go in a positive situation. Now, Clemson overcame that, but I think the new Clemsoning might be you know NC State or something like that, where you have a team that You're is already good. going after NC State. No, no I mean, we're 10 minutes into <laughs> Ben. He's already going after no, NC ben, State. Ben knows, I said this on the show before. Yep. Where they, they are a good team, proverbially lose some games that they wouldn't. Otherwise, I think NC State would be a, a 10 11 win potential program. Okay, but doesn't that describe like almost every team no, except no, Georgia, Alabama, no, Ohio no, State? No, no, no. Because, no, because, I, no, because, because everybody... you feel like that's the barrier to winning. Like the Mets' barrier to winning and getting into the postseason feels like. They are their own worst enemy at times, and I feel like that's where the Clemson thing came from. Was like you have a roster good enough to win a championship, but you end up losing to Wake Forest or something. Miami, who was you know a 500 team, and just kind of inexplicable. You're going. The barrier for you to get a championship is you. You're losing. You're not losing the games that we think you could lose. You're losing the games you're not supposed to lose. Thanks. And so I think the Mets. Kind of had that, uh, everybody's like, well, the Mets will go through a two-week stretch where they just lose a whole bunch of games, and that'll be pretty much it for them. Hasn't happened yet. We shall see. If they, if really they good back. starting pitching, though, it can really help does, you. Yeah. Can, can help, uh, one through five can, I mean, can help you avoid those. Two-run jack off, of, uh, you know, off the ground, which, which doesn't happen often. But I think Kevin makes this distinction, though, uh, BJ. Kevin's talking about teams that are relevant, right? 
NC State relevant. Clemson relevant. There are a lot of teams in pro sports and collegiate sports that are not relevant, right? Now, Kevin loves NC State for a different reason, for those of you who don't know. I mean, he, there are coaches, and then there's Coach David. Look, Kevin it's loves just every <laughs> day. I understand. <laughs> because, because you know I like NC State. Yeah. Like, right? No, no, no. Kevin said he was at a coach's clinic, and then Coach Doran was, like, going to give a riveting, like, motivational speech <laughs> to all the coaches. And Kevin was like, oh, I got to see. He was getting ready to walk out. Kevin, hold on for Coach Doran. And Kevin was like, he looked back, and he's done. And then that was it. I'm just saying, it's, it's, I will say when it comes to I feel to the like best, Dave Doran is going to find me somewhere and fight me. I would love just that. Like, I, I will I'm going to wind up on one of those videos that Ben watches on, on uh, Twitter and YouTube all the well, time. Yeah. And it's just me walking down the street, and, you know, Dave Doran RKOs me out of nowhere on the sidewalk. No, no, no. He, no, that's, he, that's, no, no, that's no. He, you don't notice him. He no. Somebody <laughs> around him noticed you. They go, that, that, "That's that Kevin guy." He go, "That's him." Yeah. He goes, and he goes, "Hey, <laughs> Kevin Thomas." And you turn around like this, Coach. And he's like, "Uh, I hear you got a lot to say." And I hear you do not. <laughs> so then they, so then, <laughs> and they go in, <laughs> and there it is. Like what? No, I <laughs> listen. If you can't enjoy what you do, man, why do it? I just think that at the end of the day, there was a picture going around, a coach. Coach Doran coming out, you know, at AC Media Days, and he just happened to look and go, I could just, there you go, right at Kevin. Isn't there, isn't there a picture of Kevin yeah, and Coach Doran on the get, internet? Yeah, he's giving me the eyeballs. Kevin goes, like, so you mad at me for doing my job. Yeah, gonna I'm going to ask you Listen, you, you better prepare. They're going to be good this year. I, I, I don't know I, how I, he I, went from the Braves to NC State. I don't know, State, I, I, because I was trying to describe the Mets Clemsoning, and then yep. you got all offended that I said Clemsoning. But, <laughs> no, but, uh, but anyway, I, I think for this Braves team, if you want to circle back, I feel like this is one of those things where you can't look at it and say, well, the Mets will come back to us. Uh, no, they're, they're going to do what they've been doing all year long. And with DeGrom and Scherzer, you know they're not going to have a lot of prolonged losing streaks. So you kind of look at it, you know, back in the day of the Maddox-Glavin, Smoltz. Hey, we may lose a couple, but we're not going to have a five, six-game losing streak because one of those guys is going to get us out of it. And I think that's how you view uh, the Mets. And they've invested a lot in their roster, and they're a good team. Do I think the Braves are better? I, I still think the Braves are a better team, but uh, that, that, has to fit, that, that has to prove itself out um, on the field. And how do you do that? you got to win games like tonight, uh, certainly Wednesday and Thursday, uh, if you want to keep pace. I, if you somehow were able to win three out of four and this thing's sitting there three games with a month and a half to go, I mean, that's anybody's business at, uh, at that point. Ben's getting all loose. I, I, I am because people think 162. This thing gonna be over. Nope, it'll still come down to the last <laughs> two weeks. And Kevin gonna hit us with Kevin gonna hit us with that story of I remember when the Braves was up by this many games. I said I don't want to hear that stuff. Don't BJ Ben at this thing. <laughs> we, I don't use words like con- currently constituted and market corrections. I think you got the hell beat at you. From what I saw last night, you got that thing put on you. Hopefully. You know, we could have a repeat effect of them Braves and Bravos. And hey, the I, would, I wouldn't be upset if they scored 10, 11, 12 runs again tonight and uh, just laid it on the mess. we got so much to get to here on the show. Eric Kelton, uh, Savannah State uh, head coach, uh, had to reschedule from yesterday to uh, today. we got him uh, coming up here in just a little bit. Also, Jake Roos, Dogs HQ, uh, he will join us. And we'll talk some Georgia football, talk SEC football in the final hour with Mike, uh, Mike Bratton, uh, SEC Mike of that SEC podcast, but also talks to Braves baseball uh, coming up in the final hour of the show as well. So much to get to. Love to have you be a part of the show. 912-342-7184. Hit us up on Twitter at Pigskin Radio. You can also hear us uh, online at ESPNCoastal.com or watch us online, Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. Go to ESPN Coastal on YouTube and you can give us a watch. Or if you missed the show, go there as well. It's three and out on the Southern Pigskin Radio Network.
Aaron Kelton going to join us coming up in about 15 minutes. Uh, Savannah State head football coach as they get ready for the September 3rd opener against uh, Southeastern. A little bit of a new offensive scheme in place. We'll talk to him coming up in just a little bit. But uh, obviously we've been breaking down the SEC from a league standpoint. The quarterbacks, very deep. The running backs, good group there. Wide receiver seems to be a spot where the SEC has really, really done well uh, in the last handful of years where you're putting guys high in the draft. Uh, I mean, you talk about the top guys in the draft. Uh, last year you had Drake London and uh, Alave from other conferences, but you had a lot of SEC wide receivers that were very highly thought of uh, going in a draft. Where do they stand now? Uh, again, losing guys to the National Football League. Who are your top five guys uh, on the outside here in the SEC? Yeah, I think you have a lot of talent from not just last year, but the last couple of years to replace. I know uh, I was a big fan of Traylon Burks, who went to your Titans, of course, Ben. And uh, I, I, I think when you look at the top five wide yeah. receivers in the SEC here as we get ready for the start of the season, there are some proven guys at the top, but I don't think in terms of having, you know, four, five, six, seven, eight guys who have right now preseason All-American type attention, I don't think you have that depth. Uh, but for number five, I'll go uh, Jaden Hazelwood at Arkansas. I know he's been to a couple of different schools, but now you're at Arkansas with K.J. Jefferson. I think that has the potential. You saw what Burks did last year to be really dynamic. Uh, Hazelwood, very talented, former five-star recruit. I think he could be extremely productive in that offense, and that offense could find a little more balance. Uh, but you know Arkansas is going to want to run the football. Mm -hmm. uh, for me, number four, I'm going to go Jermaine Burton at Alabama, uh, formerly of Georgia, and a little bit of a change. You go from an offense that probably wanted to run the football more times than not to now you're a part of an offense that, even with the great running backs, we'll see how Jameer Gibbs is used, but probably with the reigning Heisman Trophy winner, wants to throw the football a little more. So I'm taking a little bit of a wait and see there with the transition. I'm a big fan of Jermaine Burton. I think he's going to be extremely productive, but I have him coming in at four at Alabama. Three for me, I have Josh Van at South Carolina. You know, Josh Van was putting up big plays a year ago. And remember, Without Spencer Rattler. especially at the beginning of the year, you had what? A, 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 uh, a, uh, a grad uh, 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 transfer, yes. uh, not grad transfer, a, uh, he, he was a, a graduate assistant. Yeah, that's a G. Right, yeah. right. Mm -hmm. uh, you, you know, you had some turnover at the quarterback position. I think Josh Van, who's already being talked about as a high NFL pick because of his size and athleticism, he and Spencer Rattler, that could be really, really productive. Uh, for me, number two, Cedric Tillman at Tennessee. He's the guy for the Vols. The Vols were unstoppable at times last year. Cedric Tillman quietly, and you've had some huge numbers in the SEC, Ben, of course, the last couple of years. He had 12 touchdowns a year ago. No, you love 12, a touchdowns. A dozen. Yeah. I mean, come on. that you, you don't get much better than that. Yep. And then number one for me, I know the production hasn't been quite as consistent because, unfortunately, he's dealt with injuries, but we've seen what he can do, the 300-yard game against Ole Miss. Uh, I think Kayshawn Boutte, I think he's probably going to be a top-10 pick out of LSU. Uh, I think he's going to be one of the best receivers in the country now. Miles Brennan, you have a uh, stepping away from football. You have a little bit of a quarterback change there uh, at LSU. But my five, and I think you could go a number of different ways, but I'll go Hazelwood, uh, Burton, Van, Tillman, and uh, Butte. Yeah, I like your list, BJ. I mean, uh, you know, a lot of those guys are going to be real similar to my list. But my number five is, I mean, I just, I mean, even though he doesn't have Matt Corral back, I like Jonathan Mingo. I mean, he's one of the, he's one of the long returning guys coming back. And BJ, you talk about stats. Before he got hurt last year, averaging 97 yards a game and a touchdown per game. I mean, that's about as good as you can get. Almost 100 yards and a touchdown now. I think he's going to benefit from the scheme because obviously Matt Corral is gone. But that scheme, and he's been in and he understands how to get open in the lane, give an offense, he, he's going to be my number five. My number four, I'm sorry, BJ, until proven otherwise, I think it's going to be Tyler Harrell. Why? Bryce Young. He He's going to be on the other side of a Jermaine Burden, and I just think that when you look at what 
The thing about a guy like like Bryce Young, he, he needs two guys, which I'm gonna get to another guy on this list uh, as I keep going up. But I just think that coming over, you know, coming over from Louisville, obviously he's a route running, you know, guy. I mean, I know that Mr. Cunningham is gonna miss out on him, but you don't come from Louisville to, to uh, Alabama if you ain't ready to play right away. My number three is Kayshawn Butte Bichet. I'm gonna tell you why. He is great, but he's always watching the game, not in the game. He's always hurt. Now when he's when he's out there, he's out there. But can't make the club in the tub. I know he probably, he might be the most talented guy on this list, but everybody else, they're available. The best best ability in football first is availability. He's not there. I got to see it, but when it comes to upside, he is the best. My number two is Jermaine Burton. I think Jermaine Burton is going to light it up. Jermaine Burton is coming from an offense that was running the football when he first got there, kind of went to more passing, and he still didn't factor into it. All right, I'm going to go somewhere. I know they're going to run and throw me the rock, and obviously his teammate, Tyler Harris, my number four. My number one is Cedric is Cedric Tillman. I mean, uh, uh, Cedric Tillman. For this reason, BJ, we just saying 1,100 yards, 12 touchdowns, let it happen. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. And I love my Florida receivers. That I don't know if two of them can give you that. 1,112. <laughs> I'm just saying that at this point. And, BJ, this is a guy that's going to get another year in this offense with Hendon Hooker from the jump. I'm getting Hendon because this is, this is a blend of different quarterbacks, and I still gave you that production. And – Tennessee has got to have a go-to guy. And I think that Cedric Tillman, I mean, when you look at the fact that he, he got to deal with the Boutes, he got to deal with the Jermaine Burtons and all these guys, we don't want to give him love because of where he plays, not how he plays. The boy can play. 1,100, 12, 12 TDs coming off a year to where they're trying to figure out what this offense is going to be. I think he's going to have a chance to go back and have another, you know, stellar year. But, you know, uh, to go, go through my list again, Jonathan Mingo, Ole Miss, Tyler Harrell, Kayshawn Boutet, Jermaine Burton, and Cedric Tillman, I think that the SEC, while it's while it's really really good, top to bottom in QBs, look, you know, watch out for some of these guys. I mean, obviously these are the names we know. I think I think at the end of this uh, year, you're gonna have a bunch of guys. Yeah, could have some young guys have yes, big years. Yes, I mean because I mean because at the end of the day, what you got you got Hendon Hooker. I mean you got Bryce you got Bryce Young throwing these guys. I mean obviously the Kayshawn Butte thing. We're gonna have to see how that how that uh, pans out as well as who's gonna be throwing the rock. Uh, you know for Ole Miss, but I think all these guys are about as good as advertised. Yeah, wide receivers all over the place, fellas. And when you got the quarterbacks to get him the football, uh, you can go next level. And I, I think to me that's been the uh, the turning point in the SEC where it was so much uh, running the football and playing defense. And in the last seven to eight to ten years, you've really seen the proliferation of top wide receivers coming out of the SEC now. And I, that's not going anywhere anytime soon. And I think Burton may be the most interesting guy on the list because you think back to some of his, you know, big time performances his in de- Georgia, his debut, the same, same Mississippi State, Daniels. the game against Mississippi State. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, he's had some moments where you've looked and went, "This guy is so smooth. He's unstoppable." And you know, for whatever reason, the production wasn't always there at Georgia. Georgia trying to run the ball and do what they need to do. And now you go to Alabama, and as you mentioned, you have a very talented Louisville transfer uh, uh, on the other side, and Harrell, mm-hmm. you're going to have a great offensive line, you're going to have a great backfield, and oh, by the way, you have the best quarterback <laughs> in the country, the Randy yeah. Heisman Trophy winner, who, I mean, he may be, I, I mean, what is he capable of? Could he get to 55 touchdowns this year? If I mean, take, If they don't so, take him out. Yeah, so, so I think that's a good pick. I, I'm just taking a little bit of a wait-and-see approach to see how that wide receiver rotation develops. But, yes, I think the most interesting guy on here – maybe at receiver in the entire SEC, is Jermaine Burton going from Georgia, of course, to Alabama. At the end of the day, B.J., just because you go to Georgia, Alabama, doesn't mean you're going to play. But if you are but if you are ready to play like a guy like Jermaine Burton who's coming off a national championship beating Alabama to say, hey, man, I want, I want some of that action. At the end of the day, people want to win collectively, but I want to show off what I do individually. I think Jermaine Burton, and just to tell my age, uh, Jermaine Burton's grandmother is my old roommate, Max Starks' auntie. 
So let's just let you know how long we've been away from this thing. When that boy was coming out the womb, we were just getting to college. Now he got this going touchdowns and putting rings on his finger. We'll, we'll see what happens. Look out if you are a DB because you're going to get a lot of work in 2022. A lot of long Saturdays out there for those guys around the SEC. we got more to come here on 3 and Out. Aaron Kelton, Savannah State head football coach, set to join us when we return. It's 3 and Out all across the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Good to have you back here, 3 and Out. Hit us up on Twitter, at Pigskin Radio. We are streaming live, ESPNCoastal.com uh, on the ESPN app. You can also uh, watch us on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube uh, as well. So uh, on YouTube, ESPN Coastal. You can follow the show there as well. We'll hear from Rich Styles, Back Nine Boys Golf Show. Apparently, big meeting amongst the uh, amongst the golfers out there to try to keep them involved with the, uh, the PGA Tour. Also, Jake Roos. Dogs HQ will join us uh, coming up next hour. We'll talk some Georgia football with him. We are efforting Aaron Kelton, a Savannah State head football coach. Uh, hopefully he will join us here in just a, uh, a little bit. But uh, fall camp's going on all around. And uh, obviously if you're good, Ben, you're trying to find, like Georgia, some guys to, to plug and play. I know after the first practice or first scrimmage, excuse me, Kirby was not pleased with his defense. But you're finding guys who are uber talented who are finally in the spotlight on that side of the football. Yeah, and I think uh, the one thing a lot of people are getting, like uh, those shell shot guys, as far as like those freshman guys, I think what they're realizing is the hardest thing to be in life is the hardest thing to be in football, and that is to be consistent. I don't care how big you are. I don't care how fast you are. Can you do it consistently? Can you can you make blocks if you're if you O-lineman? Can you get off blocks if you're a D-lineman? Can you make plays if you're, if you're, you know, if you're a skill position guy? If you're a quarterback, can you take the man to the offense and all these different things? And that is, and that is just installed. Then you got to go to team takeoff. Then you got to go to seven on seven. It's like every single time there is a drill, are you standing out or are you just standing still? That's my go. Are you standing out or are you standing still? Well, coach, I just, well, I said, listen, he said, some of y'all, I don't know why y'all need tickets on Thursday. Yeah, because you're not playing on Saturday. <laughs> and, 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 that, and that, I mean, because what happens is, Kevin, the BJ is this. It is a business. If you go to Georgia, your coach just signed a $100 million extension. Not LeBron, right? Kirby. He just signed $112 million. That doesn't, as we, what we say, Kevin, all the time, this $100 million, $100 million responsibilities ain't the same as nine to five uh, type, you know, type situation. So I think, hey, you're a player, go out there and prove it. It ain't about what you say, it's what you do. It's time to go out there and do it at a consistent level, at a high level. And please, please, look at Nick Saban the way he's talking to his coaches and his players. Do anybody say anything back? No, because they want to play. And if they don't like it, they become head coaches <laughs> and get the hell out. Just ask Lane Kiffin, just ask Mike Loxley, and, and, and so on and so forth. How long into fall camp uh, until you're looking around going, all right, I'm ready to play somebody else? Because you had the spring, you had the off-season <laughs> yeah. conditioning. I mean, what's the mindset like in fall camp? It, you, you are frustrated because there's only so many things you can do when you're going up against guys that know your plays, know your tendencies, uh, you know, know, know what you do well, know what you don't do well, BJ. But you also got to ask yourself, Every single day you go out there, if you're blessed to be able to go up against, quote, the best at your position uh, on defense, are you, are, you, are you making sure they helping you become better? Because if you do it the right way, Saturday will be easy. Because if I'm getting the best or one of the best uh, in the country, it's supposed to be rough. I mean, I, I understood that. took me three years to really understand that. The Alex Browns of the world were very kind to me when I first got to college because, well, I know, I know they didn't embarrass me like they could. I mean, when the defensive end tell you good job, 8-4, that means you didn't do good. <laughs> He's trying to that, – that, that's all motivation, right? Kevin, this is what I, what, Kevin, what did I say about these rookie quarterbacks, right? What do they do? Man, that's a great throw. Great throw, eh? You don't got to do that. They don't got to do that with Tom Brady. He knows if it's a good throw. Why? Because I threw it and he caught it. 
Now, <laughs> oh, that's a nice ball. They're trying to build up your confidence because that's not going. That's that's going to turn into feedback real real soon. But no, it's it comes with it. I was young and, and naive and didn't understand the severity or the complexities of going to a place like Florida. That helped me until, you know, uh, Zon Breaker tell me, uh, you got to get open this year. Well, Coach, it's the first day of camp. Don't care. We have found the uh, head coach at uh, Savannah State. First year head coach going through fall camp, getting ready for the opener September 3rd against Southeastern. Aaron Kelton joins us here on 3 Now. Coach, welcome. How are you? I'm great. How are you guys doing? Hey, we're doing fantastic. Uh, First go round here for fall uh, with you guys. Uh, I saw a comment from you. Hey, you're about 50-50 returning guys, new guys. Uh, obviously, you got an open competition at quarterback. Uh, where at you? Where are you at? I, I should say in kind of meriting all that out here with still a couple of weeks to go. Um, you know, we got a couple of weeks to go. We're, we're trying to to get equal reps. You know, school started now, so so time gets cut back a little bit for practice. But but all those guys are competing. Um, and and um, you know, JT and Isaiah right now, I would say, are, are the two guys out front. Um, JT's a returning guy. Um, Isaiah's a transfer from Hampton University, uh, who we have. And, and then um, close behind them is, is Jaden Adams, uh, who's a young guy who's really done a great job. And so those would be our three top guys right now. Uh, Coach, what are your top priorities uh, here in fall camp right now? Um, really, it's about building culture and building some continuity in the team. Um, you know, getting to know each other. You know, like I said, we were we were uh, 50-50 so with the roster and the, the changes, and so it's really getting to know each other, right? Uh, what a, what's the guy next to me about? Okay, Can, you know, in order for me to be able to trust somebody, I got to know. And so that's what we try to do. Is we we we've done a lot of different exercises and and uh, things with the team uh, to, to just get to know each other. And, and so, and, and then for, for the freshmen, the guys coming in, you know, that's a whole different bunch, right? And, and they've got to get to know us and know us coaches and just get to know the program and what we're about. I hear you mention a lot about the culture. Obviously, you know X's and O's, you understand schemes, but is that the hardest thing for a player to understand? Like, listen, we're going to coach you hard, but as you talk about knowing the guy who, who you're playing next to, knowing why they are who they are, why they do what they do, is the culture part of football harder than actual teaching the game of football? Yeah, it, it really is because one one bad apple can spoil the whole bunch, right? Like, it's true in, the, in that way. Um, if the culture isn't something that can sustain uh, the adversity and the different things that you go through as a program, um, you'll have flashes of, of, of uh, good things happen, but you won't build the consistency that you want to have a really great program. Aaron Kelton joining us here, Savannah State head coach. Coach, where do you feel the strength of your team is? Uh, obviously, a lot of good players from last year, 8-2. and two. Uh, I know you're changing the offense a little bit, but where do you feel you are the strongest right now? Uh, defensive line is probably our, our best and, and, and most talented group of guys uh, with, with uh, the guys we have returning and then uh, bringing in a couple young guys. But also we, we managed to get a couple transfers on the D-line as well and, and bolstered that unit. So that unit's pretty deep. I mean, it's a solid two-deep unit, uh, probably goes as deep as 10 um, on that unit. And then um, I think that we're talented at receiver – but those guys don't have a lot of catches, right? And so it's trying to get them the ball, get them to, to be able to be the explosive players they are, but and still block, run, do all the things they're supposed to do um, 
you know, when, when they're out on the field. What are your goals for this offense? Again, going to be a little bit different than, uh, than uh, what has been the case. What are your goals for what you hope to see out of that unit this fall? You know, one of the, one of the things that we talk about as a staff is, is, is uh, how we're going to continue to generate offense, right? Because it, it, one thing you've got to do when you're making changes, you're coming out of a different style. Um, you know, we'll, we'll still be ball control, but we're, we're going to take some vertical shots and, and, and use the ability of the guys that we have. Um, but we want to take pressure off the quarterback and not have the quarterback feel like he's got to win the game, you know? And so, so for us, um, we want to be balanced. We want to be pretty balanced in terms of what we do, but, but get the ball into playmakers' hands who can continue to move to change, get first downs for us. We're not, we realize we're not going to score on every series, but put ourselves in a good position where, where we're able to move the football up and down the field and, and let the scores come as they come. So, Coach, from fall camp, that's when that physical demand is on all the bodies of all the players. They, they got to psych themselves up, getting ready for every single practice. The, the most juice you're going to hear is coming from the guys without pads on, but – how do you make sure that those seniors understand that, look, I, I expect you guys to lead the way physically, but you got to get these young guys ready to play in ways that only players can help players do it. Well, you know, that's what I told them at the, the very first meeting. I said a coach-led team is a good team, but a player-led team is a great one, you know? And so I've, I've talked to them about that. I, I give them opportunities to share experiences, uh, share uh, their knowledge of, of playing, right, with the young guys. Because they young guys are walking around. They're just running uh, all over the place because they don't know what to do, you know. And so um, it's really giving them time to to express who they are and, and share with the team uh, the, 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 uh, the things that, that have been successful for those players who are successful and returning and have a lot of experience. Um, and then – it, you know, I give them a chance to lead. I, I, I try to show them the example, but I give them a chance to lead. And then if we need some correction to happen from what they've said, then we correct it. But I give them a chance to, to voice their, their opinions to those guys because they're in, in the locker room with them every day. They're lining up with them every day. You know, they, they want to talk to them about, I mean, they, they get up and talk to them about, hey, don't drive to class because you're going to get tickets. You know, I mean, they, they're talking to them about everything that they can. But also... It's about the foundation that we laid in, in, in preseason to say, hey, this is what we're about. You know, our motto this year is Spike Lee. And people don't understand what it means, but it's do the right thing. Okay? And so that's how our guys walk around. They say, hey, Spike Lee, Spike Lee. You know, we're doing the right things, you know, on the field, off the field, in the community, in the classroom. Uh, that, that's how we're going to be a successful program. Aaron Kelton, Savannah State head football coach, joining us. You've got a home opener coming up in a, in a couple of weeks. How excited are you for that? And then what, what week two, an ESPN U appointment to have the, the Tigers on there? Yeah, yeah. So we're really excited to open the year um, at home. Uh, it's going to be they're, – they're a good club, so, so it'll be a good challenge for us. They were, they're coming off of an 8-2 season uh, as well. Um, but to have a home game, be able to sleep in your bed the night before and and, and really go through your routine uh, is something that I think our young ball club is going to need. Um, so, but I expect it to be a really good game. And then to have, be on a short week the next week, playing on a Thursday night uh, up at Benedict, um, you know, that's that's exciting, especially being on the ESPN national national TV, uh, and then having guys like you guys covering us. And you know, I mean, they, they these young guys don't know what's coming their way, right? And so, uh, but the, the program. 
uh, is really excited about about all that we're going through right now. We've talked about this on the show, but, but Coach, during fall camp, uh, at what point do you transition from, okay, we're going through install, we're getting ready for the season at large, versus, okay, now we're specifically getting ready for game one, maybe we're looking ahead to game two. How do you manage the last couple of weeks of fall camp? Well, yeah, and, you know, with, with, with school starting, having started Monday, um, you know, we broke camp Sunday night, and we talked as a staff, and we're probably going um, to, towards the end of this week, uh, start to do some of our installs and, and, and get into the first prep stuff for Southeastern. Um, as we finish up, you know, we, we, we pretty much got all of our base stuff in. Um, now we're, we're getting ready to go to the special stuff, the specialty stuff that we do uh, in the different packages. And so uh, that's when we will start to install. We'll also start to get into some segments of practice, third down, goal lines, uh, red zone kinds of stuff, and add those things into practice so we can start to address them. So I think that the end of this week will be when we start, and that'll give us a good solid, you know, 10 to 12 days uh, of, of consistently going through and preparing for Southeastern. And coach, I mean, the profile of uh, you know college football is changing. The, the the profile of HBCUs are changing now. When you look at guys like yourself, guys like Dion, guys like you know Eddie George, you guys are bringing HBCUs. Not you bringing it back to what a lot of us already knew. But talk about always saying, yeah, man, I'm the head coach of Savannah State, but I also understand being an HBCU. We're hot. We're making sure the reputation of HBCUs is being looked upon as we're great institutions. We just play good football here. Talk about kind of like uh. You know, having that distinction as well, because I put you in there with all the guys that I see, I, the Deons, the Hugh Jackson. You guys are doing something. Listen, I didn't go to an HBCU. I did myself a disservice, Coach. Please forgive me for that. <laughs> but at the same time, talk about, you know, uh, you know, uh, carrying that torch as well, understanding the HBCUs and the reputation of it seems to be getting higher and higher every day. Yeah, you know, it, it's an honor to be here, to be leading this program, uh, and it certainly will be – in honor to lead the Tigers out on the field on the third and, and every weekend after that. Um, you know, the biggest thing for us is that we, we continue the legacies that have been built over the years uh, and the people that care about these institutions, you know, and the people that, you know, what we're trying to do is, is bring more exposure, more en enlightened people of the great institutions that are there to get rid of the stigmas and things that, that used to come with attending an HBCU uh, for for college for for college type athletes, okay, and and for high school coaches, for them to not look at us as, hey, you can always go there. We're making it so now, you know, we're gonna be a choice school for people, right? Uh, we're making it so that it's important uh, that that they know that that we're out here, okay, and doing doing all we can. That we put the same hours, the same you know uh, types of kids. Uh, into these classrooms and on these fields and that the football level is great um, and, and, and that they're going to get the best of, of all they can out of life uh, at our school. And so that that's what we, we preach. That's what we're talking about. Um, it's a great time to be at an HBCU um, and, and a place like Savannah State. You, I don't think you can get any better. Like I told the team, we're Savannah's team. Okay. We are. So they, there is nobody else for us to have competition within Savannah. OK, now, yeah, Statesboro's up the road, but that's Statesboro. We're in Savannah. And so let's let's make us the best team that that's going, you know, out on the field every Saturday. And we're going to be the best game in the country in our program every single Saturday that we're stepping on the field. I, I don't care who's playing, um, but with Savannah State's playing, that's going to be the best game in the country to us. And we'll deal with the rest of them later. 
And so that that's that's the attitude we have. Um, and and we just want our guys to 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 take that pride out on the field with them every day and represent it in everything they do. So. Aaron Kelton, Savannah State head football coach, 9-3, September the 3rd, Southeastern University. It all gets started right there at home. Coach, we appreciate the time. Thanks so much. Guys, thank you. I'm looking forward to it. And uh, anytime, you know, you need me to come on, I told you, I'm, I'm here for you. So thank you very much. And thank you so much, Coach. We appreciate it. Aaron Kelton, Savannah State head football coach, joining us here on 3 and Out. We're coming right back all across the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. A lot to get to coming up in hour number two. Jake Roos, Dogs HQ, will join us. We'll talk Georgia football with him. Also, Rich Stiles, Back Nine Boys Golf Show. Apparently, a big golfer convention or something going on with Tiger Woods coming in, trying to rally everybody together to uh, to stick with the PGA Tour. We'll talk to uh, Rich about that coming up in just a little bit. But let's go to the phones here quickly. We got our guy AC on the line. AC, what's happening? Good afternoon. Thank you so much for taking my call. How you doing, man? I'm doing good, man. It feels like I didn't talk to you guys forever. Stop doing this to me. Uh, let me ask. Let me ask you a question about Ed Orgeron, and I'm gonna try my best to do Ed Orgeron impression. I'll try my best, but I cannot promise anything. My question is, where do you guys see awesome Ed Orgeron landing a head coaching job? Is it college or the NFL? And just a team. And here goes my Ed Orgeron impression. We coming. Bring back it in. The Tigers, he's out. That wasn't bad, AC. That mm-hmm. was not bad. That was not bad. Ed Orgeron impression. Go Tigers. Uh, I don't know. Is Ed Orgeron going to coach again? Uh, I, he, I mean, he's uh, he's obviously getting paid. It is. Uh, like he had a nice me. contract I, 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 from I LSU. Be wrong. I think there's zero percent chance that Ed Orgeron going to coach in the National Football League as a head coach. Because, I mean, you have to delegate stuff. You can't just walk around saying, you know, hey, what are you doing over there? You're going to have to talk. You got to keep your shirt on, too. Yeah, you got to keep your shirt on. You know, you, you know, I mean, you got to, you know, you're not, you're not, you're not, uh, you're not judging guys' uh, shirt colors with, you know, I mean, they're masculinity. Can you whoop them and beat them up and stuff? But I, Ed Ogeron is good for football, college football. And I do think that his resume, BJ and Kevin, is better than most. I mean, he got a natty. 2019 going to be his claim to fame. I mean, everywhere Jimbo go, he tells people 2013. Uh, Jimbo, what? <laughs> so all I'm saying is, I do think he's good, but it's going to have to be a school that I don't think it could be as high profile as the LSU again because it has to be somebody that wants to be able to have a face that can help with recruiting. But I do think he's good with football. I just think that they won't talk about his past until he comes back up in the present as a head coach and we got to see the resume. And I don't know if a, a, a compliance department want to deal with that. Yeah, I don't know. I, I I don't know if we'll see him anytime soon. I mean, like you mentioned, if you're if you're getting paid and I mean, I think are LSU not, is still coaching, giving him a few, oh, yeah, a few dollars. Are, I mean, uh, uh, what? Gene Chizik still getting checks from Auburn. So I mean, come what, on, man. What is that message there? What did Ben just say about standing? Sounded like a good quote. That from Thomas. That sound like a good quote. Am I getting some love over here? A message on Facebook I, about standing. Sound like a good quote. I don't know. I, Thomas, I'm sorry. I'll, I'll try to think about it again. What you did know? you say? What did I say? I don't know. What did you say? What's what I said about standing? What? <laughs> I, I don't know. Thomas, ben, tell me what I said. I'll ben, try to say it again. <laughs> well, he's asking you because he wanted to, he wanted, he wanted to, to have it for himself, and you don't even remember yeah, what he you like said. He was like writing down the quote. I mean. Yeah. I said, I, I, did I just say it? I don't it, it, I'll think about it in the break. <laughs> Kevin can go back and find it during the break. Yeah, go back yeah, and listen yeah. to Kevin it. can find it in the break, you know. Hey, man, I mean, hey. No, stand up and get ran the hell over. I don't know what I said. <laughs> we, got, 
But I'll figure it out in the break. Take three coming up next. Uh, it's three and out. Southern Pigskin Radio Network. We have solved the mystery. Ben remembers what he said. Actually, you didn't remember what he said. We had a listener point out what you said. The homie can't. Yeah. So uh, we, had to, we had a comment uh, at the end of the last hour from Thomas on Facebook saying, what did Ben say about standing? Question mark. Sounded like a good quote to which Ben said, I don't know what I said. And now we do remember what you said. What, 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 I, I, you I, say? I say you either standing tall or you standing still. So, I mean, I appreciate, I appreciate Kent. <laughs> I say, listen, talk a lot of trash on this show. I, I appreciate when <laughs> I say some things that are actually meaningful. So, Thomas, listen, I appreciate it. At least you wasn't asking me to do math, which is not allowed on this show. Standing tall, <laughs> standing tall or you're standing still. Yes, sir. That being said, no math, but we will take three. Here yeah, three please, are, no math. There are three questions. <laughs> well, I'm saying there are three questions that we have. One, two, three. Take one. What is an underrated college football rivalry? I asked that in the, te- in the text. That we're in the middle of the Braves and Mets. People say, hey, people always talk Red Sox-Yankees, Dodgers-Giants, Braves-Mets. Good underrated rival nas- rivalry nationally. What's an underrated college football rivalry? Uh, okay. The one I'm going with, I think people in the in, in, in the South know, okay, and, and in the SEC know. But I still think about the Egg Bowl. And the Egg Bowl, I would guess, when you go around the country nationally, maybe outside of the Deep South, and you say, okay, top rivalry, I think people would go through 8, 10, 15 rivalries before they get to the Egg Bowl. And that game just means so much. Uh, and what's kind of... What's kind of even more impressive about it, you know, it's easy for a rivalry to have a lot of passion and, and focus on it when you're playing for national championships, you know, Alabama or Auburn or Michigan or Ohio State or back in the day, Florida, Florida State, whatever. Well, you haven't necessarily had a ton of that with Mississippi State, Ole Miss, but that is the game. I mean, I, people talk about, you know, Army and Navy and this is the one we want to win and everyone, I mean, Mississippi State wants to beat Ole Miss. Ole Miss wants to beat Mississippi State. That's a rivalry that goes back over 100 years. Uh, that's a rivalry that has an awesome trophy. Again, it's a, it's a golden egg. I mean, it's the Egg Bowl. So I think that one, here's how you know a rivalry really matters. If both teams are 3-9, and nine, is it still a sellout? Is the passion still there? Does each side desperately still want to win? Even if it's not on, you know, primetime ABC or ESPN. And look. Both of these programs have had, you know, very good years in recent years. So there have been recent matchups where it's been a nationally ranked pairing. But, you know, I, I, I think Ole Miss-Mississippi State is up there. I think the Egg Bowl around the country is underappreciated. What's underappreciated is a, is a nice rivalry here in our state. And I'm talking about GSU versus GSU. They call it modern-day hate. Now, Georgia State has only been around – I mean, Georgia State football has only been around since, like, 2010, and they only played – uh, Georgia Southern eight times. Well, guess what? Georgia Georgia State is up in that rivalry five to three. All I'm saying is you're going to appreciate it. PJ, you know, Georgia Southern got to talk of trash to Georgia State. It's, oh, because we knew? Yeah. And everything was cool, right? Everything was cool. And then Georgia Southern wanted to say something to Georgia State. Well, Georgia State is kind of half their way. And it's called modern-day hate. I like the fact that I was at a uh, I was at a symposium here uh, a couple, you know, a couple of months ago. And uh, – I met, I met a young man there that went to both Georgia State. He attended Georgia Southern and Georgia State. And I said, you know, I asked him, I said, what's the real GSU? He said, oh, you know, he said, Georgia State. I, he said, why? He said, seriously? He said, yeah. He says, uh, he said, this is what he told me. He goes, uh, 
Uh, he said, he said uh, Atlanta. Yeah, Statesboro. Yeah. Enough said. Walked off. I said, yeah, but he said Georgia Southern got good football. He said, he said, uh, he said, uh, but Georgia State got better football. He said, well, he just going over the right. It's called modern day hate, meaning Georgia Southern, you ain't have to say that to him. You ain't have to, you get left it alone, right? But yes, give me modern day hate, GSU versus GSU. You know, when I 16 turns into I 75, or however you want to look at it, they don't <laughs> like each other. One, one guy go, they say, oh man, we y'all playing the old Brave Stadium. Beat us then. Yeah, I, if you I don't like it. I like to dub that one the rivalry that never should have been. <laughs> I mean, it really shouldn't have been. Yep. But if, like you said, if you go back and remember how the song got started, if Georgia Southern fans just say nothing, you're Georgia Southern, and it comes up on this game, and you start going back and forth about this, that, and then you lose. And then you start going back and forth, and you lose again. Uh, the next year, I think they start out like one and two against Georgia State, and all of a sudden it's on. I understand it makes the football good, but this thing should have never been a rivalry. You're Georgia Southern. You had the national championships coming up. You came in and played well right from the jump in, in the Sun Belt. And then here comes Georgia State, who a few years before had Bill Curry, a football, a helmet, and a dream. That, that, that's it. Don't, you, why, why would you poke them? You don't need to. You don't need to. I, it's a rivalry that never should have been. And in my, situ- my case, you had a perfectly fine one going on with App State. And for some reason... You tried to stick in the eye on Georgia State for some reason. Like, why would you do that? It's good I mean, for the Sun Belt, though. It is have, good for the Sun Belt. The I'm rivalry. just saying, like, at the end of the day, this thing should have never been a rivalry. I, I mean, I guess it was bound to happen geographically, but I feel like if Georgia Southern just went out there and took it, it would, like, it would have had a hard time getting off the ground as, like, one of the big rivalry games. Because, again, Georgia Southern fans keep going back, oh, you play in a Braves stadium. There's eight people there. Yeah, and you keep losing to them. Like, that, that, like, like quit doing that. Like I said, quit poking them for no reason. Like, Everybody sees there's eight people at the gate. Like, you don't need to keep doing like, it. Then you lose to them. Then you lose again. And the joke turns around on you at that point. That's all I'm saying. But underrated – I forgot the question. Underrated rivalry. I, I, got, I got sidetracked uh, about that. Is that your answer? Or did you no, 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 no. I was just I was going, I was going off of what Ben said there. Uh, underrated rivalry. Hmm. I'm giving you time to think. Yeah, I'm trying, I'm trying you to think wrote about, the take three questions. I did. I did not, but did not answer <laughs> yes. the take hey, three Hey, if questions. they can't remember what he said, can't do it. then I can get a minute to, to think about my own answer here. Um, I mean, there's so many games that I yeah, think we were trying are, to are good for you. We were trying to talk about. I would know? say underrated because it never really has worked out that both sides win. But I would say uh, what Bedlam is pretty underrated, I think. I know it's a big one, but, like, Oklahoma State never wins when it matters. But it's always, like, 59, 57. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Saying, but, but, you know what I'm yeah. saying? But, like, it's never had that, hey, if Oklahoma State finally wins, they're going to the national championship or whatever. Like, it's been a big game, but it has to me, it's never been what the Iron Bowl is or something. Like, it's, it's good, but it hasn't had that cachet. It's just, hey, this is when it matters. Oklahoma's going to beat them, and... Mike Gundy's going to go, well, we almost had him. Yeah, what? He's a, well, yeah, Mike, yeah, well, Mike Gundy said, we lose, I'm going to cut my mullet. Well, you don't got to worry about cutting. <laughs> It'll be fine. All right, moving along, take two. Uh, which Braves newcomer has impressed you the most? Uh, obviously, Vaughn Grissom, first major league player in 30 years to score a run in his first six games. Uh, first Braves player in 100 years to do it. Uh, Michael Harris, Spencer Strider. They've all been great. Uh, I think I have to go with Michael Harris. I think the consistency, and I think and I think Spencer Strider's right there, and Vaughn Grissom, like you said, making his own history. I mean, all three of those guys, amazing. But 
Michael Harris, and we had guests come on and tell us. I believe uh, Gorov Vidak came on and said, well, watch out. This guy's about to be the truth. And what's been amazing to me about him is the consistency, right? I mean, even for the best players in baseball, you're up, you're down, you'll have, you know, a, a series where you have seven hits, and then you'll have a series where maybe you strike out seven or eight times. Michael Harris has been so consistent. It's every game. It's offensively and it's defensively. And keep in mind, you know, with the Duvall injury, I mean, Atlanta needed some help in the outfield and needed more than just kind of contributions. You know, Ozuna can't play in the field. Michael Harris has really helped save your season in a number of respects. And not only has it been consistent, not only has it been offense and defense, but big big plays, big moments. You need a double. What, the other night, you need a home run to tie it up uh, against Miami. It's Michael Harris and kind of gives you a a – a what leadoff hitter at the bottom of the lineup right. ahead of Acuna? I mean, I and and look, Strider. I don't know if this is still the case after last night, but wasn't he like one of the major league leaders in strikeouts per inning? Yeah. I mean, so Strike Strider strikeouts per nine. Yeah. yeah, so Strider's definitely up there. ERA down near three. Grissom has had about as perfect of a debut as you can have. But just because of the longevity, the consistency, and doing it in the big moments, I will go with Michael Harris. Listen, I, I mean, uh, obviously, you know, I uh, had a chance to really think about this a little bit longer, stalling a little bit, and went, you know, but love what Grissom is doing. I love what Money Mike is doing, but I'm, I, I think it is Spencer Strider because it's going with Quadzilla. Well, yeah, because this is the thing, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, we got, we got to tell, we got to tell, uh, you know, uh, BJ about the whole Quadzilla stuff in the break. But I mean, BJ, that can't be understated when you talk about the most strikeout per inning. You always talk about this, and Kevin, when. Being a pitcher is the hardest thing to do, maybe maybe in pro sports, when you look at the fact that, look, dude, my stuff got to be on every time I'm at the plate. Regardless of the hitter, I got to go out there and trust my stuff. And Strider is the only one that since, he, since he's been pitching with the big, he's, hey man, he's going he's gonna to make – he's gonna his pitch count is already going more pitches than he's ever thrown. So, I'm look, I'm and he, fine. And, that, and he was still great last night. Yeah, yeah. And the thing about a pitcher is every, everything I do, you know, some of his best games – he didn't, he didn't win the game because whoever came in, at, it wasn't because of Spencer. I said, I jinxed him one time, Spencer. I said, it, I apologize. But he's been lights out. And he's trying to make sure that once this uh, playoff roster come on, hey, man, I'm a part of that rotation. And I got to show that. Let, listen, love Money Mike and what he's doing. Love Grissom and what they're doing. But pitchers are not a dime a dozen around here, people. To find great pitching, I mean, it's very, very rare. And he's doing it as a rookie on a team that matters that's trying to catch these pesky mats to go back. So I'm going to go yeah. with old Quad doing himself Spencer Strider. I would say Spencer Strider for me as well. One, because he throws 100. And so when you throw that hard, people are like, well, dude, just go up there and throw 100 every time. And there are guys that throw hard that aren't good pitchers. Uh, you know, we've seen it. Uh, a lot of guys, hey, he can he can throw 100, 101. Well, he can't throw strikes. Or he doesn't have, have anything else to fall back on. I think we've seen the development of Spencer Strider as a pitcher. I think it's been more impressive recently because he's blowing through that innings wall that he's never been past and he's still continuing to get the job done maybe you worry about that a little bit that at some point the arm just gets tired and he falls off but right now he is pushing through i mean you are throwing a hundred miles an hour every single game that is impressive and he's being effective with it I, i'm going to lean towards a spencer strider there all right college football right around the corner if you have one college football destination and it could be a place you've already been for this purpose but if you had a bucket list college football destination to go to, you can only go to one bucket list, even if you've been there, for somebody who has been to nowhere. How about that? 
What's your bucket list? Number one college football destination. Either you want to go or you would say if you go nowhere else, you got to go there. Uh, for me, and, and I've talked with my family about this, about, you know, my – Y'all know my dad was in the service for a long time. My brother is. I, I, I would love to be able to go to Army-Navy. That's, that's one game I've, I've not been to. Uh, I think it's the greatest rivalry uh, in, in, in college sports. And you're talking about, you know, two programs that not only have that defining rivalry in college football and, you know, the sacrifice and just, you know, the, in, the, in, the incredible service that it all is. But you're talking about uh, just on, on the field from a football perspective, these have been really good teams. I mean, these have been really good teams, and I, I, I think the, the chance to appreciate, you know, the service, the pageantry, the tradition, the history, uh, the chance to go to Army-Navy, I think would be, would be one. I, I, I got to get to Army-Navy one day. Yeah, I mean, obviously they're about to get ready to uh, get ready to come over to the SEC. I mean, the Red River rivalry. I mean, I've seen it so much. I see how crazy it can be, and I and I like and I like two teams and two fan bases that have a genuine dislike for each other. Like, and the games and the games obviously been good. Oklahoma's going to win the game, but I I think that for me, these are certain things that you just you know to me are just a part of the pageantry known as college football. Like the Red River Rivalry. I know it's going to be you know uh, part of the SEC here soon, but. To just see, you know, uh, that, you know, what that sooner, what I don't even know, what, what that sooner red or whatever you want to call it, the sooner maroon looking, whatever. Look, uh, Oklahoma fans are going to come after you. What sooner, what, what is it? Uh, well, I know it's that burnt orange. I, I know I got that. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I That's know a I got good thing. Yeah. the other team. You know, the other team. But uh, just, I think it's like cr- cream and crimson. Cream, 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 yeah, cream, like, cream and crimson. You know, now I mean, there already is some crimson me, in the bro. SEC. I mean, listen, at biscuits and gravy, I tell y'all, holler at me. I'm ready. I stay ready. No, <laughs> I think the red and, and, and just for the like I said, like you said, BJ, certain things you just want to say, man. I was I had a chance to go to one, and I I know that these are, these are the type of games to where all you need to go is one. It's gonna live up to it, no matter what rain or shine. It's gonna live up to it. So for me, it'll be the Red River rivalry. I think maybe Georgia fans would uh, would back me up on uh, on this one. I haven't been there. I think it would be cool. To me, it would be a one-time trip because why else are you going to Indiana, uh, Notre Dame? I think you just go, go tailgate with the Irish fans. You got touchdown Jesus out there. You got a whole bunch of Irish fans going nuts. I think that would be a cool uh, college football trip that probably everybody should get to do. I know a lot of Georgia fans had that on their bucket list. We're like, hey, Georgia may never go to Notre Dame ever again. Like, you, you just don't know. And that was one of those where I think it was a real special trip uh, for a lot of people. I would put that on the college football bucket list. Go Notre Dame, touchdown Jesus, and soak up a game. I would also uh, add, and Ben can speak to this, of course, but I would also say for college football fans, you got to get to Florida, Georgia, or Georgia, Florida, at least once. <sighs> We got to step aside. That's take three. We do it every day at this time. It's three and out. Rich Styles joins us next on the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Good to have you back. Three and out. Kevin, BJ, and Ben. We'll chat with Jake Roos, Dogs HQ, coming up in just a little bit. But a lot going on around the PGA Tour. Our next guest joins us each and every week on the show from the Back Nine Boys the Golf Show. Rich Styles joins us. Rich, welcome. How are you? I'm doing great, guys. Thanks for having me on again. Hey, we appreciate you coming on, and I know every week, seemingly, we have something new to talk about uh, that I'm sure the PGA Tour would rather talk. I mean, you're in the middle of the FedEx Cup playoffs here, and everybody's now talking about, I guess, this big golfer's powwow that's supposed to happen uh, there on site. Tiger Woods apparently flying in special uh, to address concerns about the PGA Tour. Obviously, guys leaving. Jay Monahan, the commissioner, could his job potentially be on the line what do you expect to happen here 
Well, I think the guys are just going to get together and try to come to a, an agreement of how they want to handle things as a unit uh, for the future. And I think they all just want to be on the same page uh, rather than, you know, having each player being asked by the media, what are your thoughts? What do you think is going to happen? Uh, I just think they all want to get together. It's that important that Tiger is flying in, you know, to make sure that, you know, he has his input into, uh, into whatever they all agree to. And the future of Jay Monahan may be uh, in the balance. I mean, he is not going to be at the meeting because it's a players-only meeting. Uh, but Jay will be having a meeting with the uh, PGA Tour committee tomorrow. Uh, so, you know, we'll see. They may be just meeting to kind of, as I said, come to an agreement, come together, um, and then get together with Jay tomorrow and say, this is what we want to do, this is where we stand, and we hope that the PGA Tour is going to be behind us. And, Rich, obviously, I mean, Tiger Woods getting on a plane is significant. I mean, golfers who aren't playing aren't showing up at the golf tournament, right? They're, he's not going to get on a plane to come talk about what uh, golf balls are going to use on tour next year. I mean, I know we've had you on uh, every week for months now Say, hey, look, Jay Monahan has been reactive, and it's been a slow trickle of talent stepping out of the uh, PGA Tour to go to, to, the, to the Live Tour. I mean, who controls that on, on that end? I mean, do the players have the wherewithal to say, Jay Monahan, you need to do better, or we need to find somebody else to get the job done? Well, I think, you know, that if the PGA Tour would have made the things, the changes that they've made, you know, recently, last year, it would have been a proactive mood, uh, move. And, you know, now all these moves, it's, it's, it's quite frankly, in my opinion, which I've said to you guys before, it's a reactive mood to what Liv has done. So they're coming up with a lot more money. They're coming up with a lot more ways for people to be involved and a lot of guys to you know, make some more money on the PGA Tour, which is what Live is all about, because it's all about the money. So, you know, it's just unfortunate that it comes at this, that whether Jay's the one responsible for this or the PGA Tour group, uh, you know, the higher-ups, uh, Jay and his team, uh, that'll be determined, I think, by the discussion that the PGA Tour players are going to have today. This meeting of the players, Rich, I mean, what specifically are, are the goals? Is it to come up with, um, you know, detailed, I, I guess, an itemized list of things they want from the PGA Tour? Is it to try to have some sort of a consensus on uh, the Live Tour? Is it to uh, try to, as you said, just kind of talk things out? I mean, what do you think the, the specific goals of today's players meeting uh, may be? I think it's kind of to unite. I think they all want to get together and say the same thing and be united in whatever share of voice that they want to have uh, from this point going forward. As I said, I think the media has been able to, you know, splinter several of the players and their personal comments and their feelings uh, about what's going on with Liv and why this guy went and why this guy didn't go. Um, and I think the whole purpose of the meeting is to uh, one, unite everybody together, and two, come up with their game plan and then meet with Jay Monahan and say, this is where we'd like to go, this is what we would like to do, and we'd like to see the PGA Tour help us get to that point. And Rich, obviously, a guy like Tiger Woods, I mean, you're not going to get a bigger voice than that. He is the face of golf. He is the biggest voice in golf. But, you know, having, having a meeting of the minds when it comes to these players – 
We knew that we know that the live tour is not going away anytime soon. Is there any is there any way at a certain at a certain point down the road that Tiger Woods, you know, can get a meeting to whether the live tour and maybe the PGA tour try to come to some common denominator? Because some can say the live tour is the reason why the guys on the PGA tour are getting higher purses and making more money. So there is there has been a benefit from this thing. It's just the fact that Tiger Woods is definitely saying, look, y'all know what my allegiance is. But I'm also a billionaire. When most of these guys are making more money in what in the next you know what coming years they've ever made all the years on tour. Is there any way that Tiger Woods can be the saving grace to kind of get these two sides to try to come to some type of common denominator? Well, I don't know if it's called a saving grace, but I think that you know definitely that we could we could say that Tiger coming to the meeting shows how important this meeting is and how important it is for them to to have one voice and one opinion and one response to what is going on and help them move forward as a unit, uh, uh, as, as, as a team, you know, to go forward. Um, I think, yes, as I said, you know, what the PGA Tour has done has been a reaction to what Liv has done, and Liv basically has showed us, hey, these guys want to play for money, and they, you know, they want to play less. So the PGA Tour, it's interesting because the Liv Tour, now they've got to play 14 events. In order to qualify for world ranking points and the FedEx Cup and all the majors, you have to play 15 tournaments on the PGA Tour. So their argument, players that went to live that they want to play less, it just doesn't doesn't work anymore. And uh, yes, they did go for the money, but they sure did not go to grow the game or play less tournaments. Rich, something I saw mentioned about it, and again, we just don't know what, is to come up, but I've seen some people who cover golf speculate about this, that could Tiger Woods and certain of the top players have the pull to go to the PGA Tour and say, we appreciate everything you've done, but we want an appearance fee. You want us to play some of these tournaments? We'll play for the prize money, but we want you to pay us and get a guarantee to show up uh, and, and do that. Is that something as a like someone who's covered golf, who follows golf, uh, could happen? Would that ex- kind of turn you off as a golf fan? Is that something you could see the top players request of the PGA Tour? I'm sure it's a possibility. I mean, anything at this point is a possibility because things are changing. I mean, the PGA Tour has changed a lot. It will never be what it used to be. Um, And some say it'll be because of live, and some will be to say because it inevitably had to happen. Uh, So, you know, the PGA Tour has been what it's been for many, many years. Uh, And a lot of the top executives have made a lot of money and bonuses from what has happened on the PGA Tour. And now the players want to get part of those proceeds, which I think they deserve because they're the ones out there doing all that work. And, uh, yes, I mean, anything is possible at this point uh, because what has happened in the past will definitely not be what will be in the future. Uh, Rich, bring us up to date with uh, the FedEx Cup. I know there was a, uh, a playoff over the weekend. Oh, an unbelievable playoff, and a lot of people would say Liv would never have this kind of a playoff and never have this kind of drama. What an incredible playoff. They play three holes. Uh, Neither guy has ever won a PGA tournament. They've come close. Uh, But here you have two guys that have not won that are playing in a playoff, and they go through three holes, and they all par the holes, so they go to the fourth hole of the playoff. They both don't play the ball especially well. Uh, Will Salatoris got an unbelievable break by his ball bouncing on the brick wall several times and then landing. He decided to take a drop because of where Sepp was, and 
it just made a huge difference. So the bottom line is here they play 72 holes, they tie. They play three holes in a playoff, they tie. They go to the fourth playoff hole, and what happens on a par three is Will wins with a bogey while Seth loses with a double bogey, but what drama. I mean, you would just not have that on a live tournament whatsoever uh, due to their format that they have. But this was a spectacular end to the first uh, FedEx playoff. Rich Stiles, host of the Back Nine Boys Golf Show, our guest. Rich, who you have coming up this Sunday? Well, I'm glad you asked. We have Elliot Mello talking about things with Bridgestone Golf, and they have a machine that now can help you guess what kind of golf, not even guess, but tell you what ball you need to be playing. And Gary Williams, formerly of the Golf Channel, is also going to be on with us talking about what we're talking about today. And then we're talking with uh, one of the VPs of Club Car, Mark Raquel, about what's new in golf arts and what may be in the future. They may be driving themselves. You never know. <laughs> Tune in Saturday mornings, 8 a.m., Rich Styles back, Nine Boys Golf Show. Rich, appreciate the time. Thanks so much. All right, guys. Oh, ho. I got Tiger on the other phone. I'll call you later. <laughs> All right. Rich Stiles, host of the Back Nine Boys Golf Show, our guest here on 3 and Out. And, again, as the PGA Tour turns, it's been fascinating. We've got more to come. We'll chat with Jake Cruz, Dogs HQ, some college football talk next here on 3 and Out. Good to have you back. 3 and Out, Kevin BJ and Ben the Dogs in Athens, counting down the days till Dan Lanning and the Oregon Ducks uh, come to Atlanta in that kickoff classic, but uh, the defending champs, a lot of work uh, to do. Joining us here, Dogs HQ, uh, Jake Roos steps in here on 3 and Out. Jake, welcome. How are you? Hey, I'm good, guys. Thanks for having me. Hey, appreciate you coming on. I know a lot of storylines around this uh, Georgia program, but uh, one that's been interesting the last couple of days, uh, two young guys at the running back spot just came in. I've uh, been catching a lot of eyes. Tell us about that. Yeah, you know, I, I've heard really positive things about both of these young guys. Branson Robinson, obviously, I think everybody had high expectations for this young man coming in, given how he's built, given how he runs, uh, you know, just what he's able to do. I, I think that uh, he's everything you're looking for. But, uh, you know, Andrew Paul, I think, has really opened some eyes and surprised some people with what he's been able to do in this fall camp. Uh, looks like a great late find by the Bulldogs, a great late reel-in, and uh, another solid evaluation by uh, – by, by Del McGee. I think that this is a kid who uh, looks like he can bruise in the same ways, uh, a little more agile than people may have been giving him credit for. So a lot to love about this young man's game. I, I think that uh, both of those guys, it uh, sounds like, maybe uh, uh, contributors sooner rather than later. Obviously, Stetson is the guy. What a season. Uh, how have some of the reserve quarterbacks looked? You know, I think that uh, it's a situation where they're still battling it out, trying to find that, that mix behind those guys. I think uh, behind Stetson, you know, is it is it uh, Carson Beck? Is it uh, Brock Vandegrift? I think that uh, that battle will rage on probably throughout the season. And I think that you'll see both of those guys get ample reps. I mean, I think that they know, you know, this is Stetson's last go-round, so you got to find your heir apparent. I think you'll see both of those guys get ample opportunity to show that they are that guy moving forward. Uh, it'd be interesting to see how it plays itself out. I think, um, you know, with uh, with Beck, you, you saw what he did in the spring game. I think with uh, Vandegrift, maybe a little bit more of the unknown of the two, uh, but a guy with, uh, you know, some, some great high school tape and a guy certainly with huge expectations around him coming out. So uh, going to be a fun one to watch, and I, I think that Georgia has a couple of guys back there who can step in if needed. 
Offense kind of got the best of the defense in a recent scrimmage. I know that Kirby Smart prides himself on that defense. How much of a learning curve is this defense going to go through? I mean, obviously, 15 guys to the draft last year, five, you know, coming in the first round off of that defense. How much How much is the offense kind of going to lead the way a little bit while the defense kind of get their footing? You know they got the talent, but replacing that much talent is going to be hard for anybody to do. Yeah, I agree with you completely. I think that it's not a matter of talent. It's a matter of the learning curve, and I think that uh, you're going to – you're going to get to that learning curve real quick. That's going to be week one. I think that they'll figure it out uh, very fast or, or you'll have some serious concerns. Um, you know, I think that, like you said, there's a, a, a bunch of guys who left this, uh, talented guys. We could name any number of them. But, you know, I think the guys coming in behind them are similarly talented, if maybe not even higher talent, uh, higher ceiling. But uh, it's really there's no, replace for, uh, there's no replacement for doing it when the lights are on, when the band's playing. Uh, that's what these guys are up against. Luckily, they have some experienced guys at some key spots who played a lot of snaps, but I think that depth is uh, a little less experienced than you'd prefer it to be. Uh, going to be interesting to see how that plays itself out and, as you said, how those guys are able to figure it out and how quickly. Uh, how quickly, Jake, uh, just to follow up, do you think it will take that defense to kind of get uh, up to speed? Some key returning guys, as you said, but a lot of guys going to the NFL. But people forget the guys that are stepping in are uberly talented, just didn't get near the reps that – uh, the guys last year got, how long do you really feel like uh, these guys on the defensive side feel it's going to take for them to get fully up to speed and comfortable with what they run out there? Well, like I said, it better not take long. I think they got about two weeks to figure it out because, uh, you know, uh, Oregon's going to come in with some tremendous skill players. I mean, the West Coast is loaded with some of the nation's best. And uh, Oregon's had their fair share, certainly. So I think that uh, it won't – I don't think it's going to take long. I think that these guys are practicing against similarly talented players uh, day in and day out in Georgia practices. So, uh, you know, if they're able to take that step forward in practice, especially by the end of this fall camp, then you've got to feel good about their curve. But, you know, uh, like I said, when, when you do it with the lights are on, I, I think that that's a whole different ball game. be interesting to see if those guys are ready for week one, regardless of how these next couple of weeks go in camp. Georgia has three star tight ends, of course. Uh, how often are we going to see all three of those guys on the field at the same time? You know, they haven't given us really any indication, but I, I think you've got a real shot of seeing that with, with some frequency. I, I think that uh, but because of those guys and their multiple nature, you know, you're able to line Eric Gilbert up uh, as a receiver. I think uh, Brock Vandegrift, uh, or uh, I'm sorry, Brock Bowers, a guy that you're certainly able uh, to put out there and, and split out wide. Uh, Darnell Washington may be a little bit more uh, of an inline guy, but, uh, you know, if, from any perspective, I think that uh, Georgia has a chance to be dynamic with that trio, and I think that that's the name of the game in today's uh, college football world, is being dynamic. I, I, you know, you can have all the talent in the world, but can you adjust as necessary? I think that those three guys provide you with so many options, so many looks, that uh, they're going to be uh, hard-pressed to keep them off the field in trio, uh, I, I think, very often. Jake, how much of the running game is going to play a part in that offense this year? Obviously, Stetson has been improving you last year that he can, you know, he can uh, obviously be uh, be that staple on the offense. We're having a star in our Brock Bowers, as you just mentioned. But how much more is the run game going to take some of that pressure off of Stetson? Obviously, he's proved to be extremely durable uh, since he's been at Georgia. But you can't expect him to just stand stand in the pocket, you know, every game. How much can that that uh, running game become more of a complement to the passing game uh, this fall? I think they've got a real chance to do that. You know, I think that they've got a couple of really talented guys. I think Kenny McIntosh can play that role uh, that James Cook did, if not more. 
uh, this year. I think that Kendall Milton can be your Zamir White. I think people very much and have throughout his career under underestimate Dejan Edwards. He's a guy that I'm really high on and, and think that uh, can make a significant contribution. So, uh, And then we mentioned two young guys early in the show. I think that uh, – you know, Georgia's five deep back there, and I think we'll see all five of those guys use it various times. I think each has a different, little different skill set, and I think that that's going to be uh, allow them once again to be multiple. And uh, I think that that's advantageous. And like you said, we'll take some pressure off of that uh, passing game. Jake Roos, Dogs HQ, joining us here on Three and Out. Jake, I know you do a lot of recruiting work there for uh, for Dogs HQ, and you look at the class that just came in. You mentioned some of the running backs. Are there other guys uh, in one of the top? I mean, obviously they've recruited extremely well that have a chance to come in and play significantly uh, right away here for Georgia. You know, Malachi Starks, I think, uh, de- definitely jumps off the page just because of the opportunity I feel like you have at safety there. Um, you know, replacing Lewis Seen, you know, is Dan Jackson the guy that's going to be able to hold him off? I think that he's a very serviceable player, but, you know, Malachi, I think, with a higher ceiling, I think that he's got a chance to be an impact maker. Uh, you're going to be looking for pass rush always. I think Michael Williams is a guy who can help you in that regard and provide some of that. I think uh, Jalen Walker is a guy to watch out for in the middle of the defense. You know, you're replacing three guys there. I think they have an opportunity to uh, really get out there and make some noise with him. Uh, they're looking for depth in the middle, and, and Jalen Walker is a great option there. So I, I think that uh, all of those guys are, are very capable of, uh, you know, seeing a, an expanded role from what people may be uh, expecting from them. In terms of looking ahead to 2023, what's the latest with Georgia on the recruiting front there? Uh, everything's sitting really well right now. Georgia with a real nice class, the number three in our own three team rankings. Uh, they feel good about where they stand, I think. Um, have addressed some big needs. Pulled in three great linebackers in this class. A couple good uh, good wideouts. I think that, you know, overall it's, it's shaping up to be a really nice class. You haven't found maybe that centerpiece guy just yet. Uh, but, you know, guys are – taking it a little further maybe than they would have in the past in this NIL era. I think that uh, guys are exploring options a little more deeply, uh, you know, considering so many other factors. So, uh, you know, they've got a fight on their hands down the stretch. I think right now you're focused on reeling in some big fish, and I think that, uh, you know, this is this has a chance to be another uh, tremendous, tremendous cycle for Georgia. It's certainly sitting that way right now. I don't think that they're going to slack up on that at all. I mean, Georgia coming off a national championship. Kirby Smart, uh, you know, stayed at SEC Media Days. They will, they will be the hunt. Well, they will be the hunters, not the hunt ten. How was, how has his temperament been? To think about, think about Kirby. Obviously, big time contract extension this offseason, well deserved. But he seems to be a guy that understands that all eyes going to be on Georgia, whether they win the national championship or not. Obviously, they're coming off one. How has been his temperament uh, thus far in fall camp? You know, I think that uh, those guys are similarly hungry, and I, I think that Kirby has instilled that. I think that uh, the bar's been set, and so those guys want to match up to it. I think that they've seen what this can do for their careers and, and how this can help them moving forward, and I think that they you know, want to be a part of that and, and continue this legacy that was created last year and that so many guys were around last year. So, uh, you know, I think that uh, they are taking that mentality. I, I don't think that there's any complacency with this group. I think Georgia's doing a, an outstanding job of keeping these guys motivated, keeping them focused on the goal, and really just kind of moving into this year as a fresh slate, not a, hey, we were the national champions. Jake Roos, Dogs HQ on the On3 Network. Jake, we appreciate the time. Thanks much. Hey, thank you guys for having me. I appreciate it. Appreciate it. Jake Roos joining us here on 3 Now. The countdown is on to Oregon. Uh, they're in Mercedes-Benz to get the college football season started off in a big, big way. We've got more to come. It is three and out all across the Southern Pigskin Radio Network.
Good to have you back. Here it is, three and out. Kevin, BJ, and Ben just got the word. Mike Norvell going to join us Friday on the show. Correct? Friday. Uh, FSU head football coach, and they've made some 912 inroads uh, the last several years. Yeah, you have Kalen Deloach there. You have Winston Wright there. You have a couple of, what, Tavion Gadsden and uh, Luke Cromenhawk uh, uh, from Savannah committed to Florida State. Uh, it's a big year for Florida State. I think, I think they're expecting improvement. You have a lot of guys back. Uh, you were able to be very active in the transfer portal. Uh, I think you expect to be better at the line of scrimmage offensively, which for the last few years has been sort of a question mark for Florida State. Ben, I know you're a big fan of the quarterback, Jordan Travis, and uh, what he's been able to do. Uh, ben just loves the Seminoles well, in general. Well, no, I no. Mean that. Ben was walking me through it earlier. <laughs> ben was walking me through it earlier. He, 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 he likes players. And yeah. the student athletes, and then he gets into you know who his team is, and we know you don't I mean, get upset at, about their choice I mean, in athletic I mean, apparel. Look, <laughs> at, look at the rankings we have every day on the show. We know who his team is, but uh, you know you have you have some guys. I mean, I I, I think Travis is going to have a big year. I think uh, you know Kalen Deloach. Uh, a lot of people are expecting big things from him. Was very productive at the end of last year throughout his career. I think he had an interception in the game at Florida. Uh, if Winston Wright is uh, you know fully healthy, and we're wishing him the best, I think he's going to be a big impact player. You were able to bring in uh, some some big time uh, transfer additions, and I think you have a little more experience. So a chance that Florida State takes a step forward this year. I think they're going to have to. I think Mike Norvell understands now. Is I mean, uh, you know, the honeymoon is over. I think when you're looking around, what's going on in college football is going on. Do in you the even ACC. get a honeymoon in Tallahassee uh, the way I, they've done I, I, the last few coaches? I think, I, mean, what, I think what benefit a guy like Mike Norvell is kind of like what they you know what they didn't give. They didn't give uh, you know uh, Willie Taggart the same like uh, you know. They didn't give him the same uh, level of patience, I would say. And the thing is, you don't want to keep – you see what happens. Consistency at programs are tied to how long the coach has been there. The best teams have the same head coach there for multiple years, usually. And I think what's happening with a guy like Mike Norvell, you're looking around. You look at what Mike Mario Cristobal is doing, you know, at Miami. Now, he's winning right now in recruiting. I mean, I because – a team like Tally, I mean, the team like Florida State, they all want to be judged on what Miami's doing, what Florida's doing, right, wrong, and different. Whether that's recruiting, whether that's winning, you know, whether that's you know, because the thing about it is, BJ, Florida State, they don't suffer in the recruiting side. They they do not. They still recruit very very well. That's going to have to turn into wins. And I think what hurts Florida State is not Miami, it's not Florida, it's Pitt and Wake. You got two teams that weren't considered to be, you know, powerhouse going to the ACC championship. So I think for a guy like Mike Novell, listen, listen, man, uh, even with. Uh, you know, the lack of productivity win-wise on the field, you still getting quality players in here. That's going to have to turn the wins because, you know, as you know, BJ, I mean, no matter what, the fans and the alumni and the boost is going to dictate everything that goes on on these college campuses. And I think for a guy like Mike Norvell, starting with week one, whether it's an out-of-conference game or not, you're going to have to show that you are ready because I remember this time last year, BJ, you know, uh, you know, first game, Notre Dame, you know, everybody thinking, oh, can we go how to – and you see how the season – Kind of went after that. I don't know what it is with Florida State in these first games, but I go back to DeAndre <laughs> Francois and Alabama. It, it, it's crazy, but it's like you're going to need good momentum because. I mean, DeAndre like, Francois was never the same player yeah. after, after that. I mean, we obviously well, got hurt. And you, have, you have LSU in week two. That game is in New Orleans. Wow. So it's, it's you know, technically a home game for yeah. LSU. Uh, but that's but LSU in New Orleans, and then you know the ACC is going to be really good. Florida at the end of the year, I believe Louisiana out of the Sun Belt uh, somewhere on the Jeez. schedule. So so there are going to be challenges there, yeah. but a lot of returning talent, and, including some local guys, Kevin, as you mentioned. Uh, I think Florida State expects to be better this year. Yeah, Mike Norvell, he'll join us coming up on Friday here on three. Now we got a busy final hour leading you up to Braves and Mets game two. 
Hopefully uh, the, the Braves get out the belts. We can save the Brews, play, get out the belts, and just give another spanking out uh, tonight to uh, the Mets. We'll talk about that. Uh, but also when we come back, Mike Bratton, SEC Mike, host of that SEC podcast. He will join us. We're talking SEC football with him when we come back. Miles Brennan says goodbye to football and more around the SEC. He joins us next. It is three and out all across the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Hit us up on Twitter at Pigskin Radio, streaming live ESPNCoastal.com and on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. Good to have you here. Final hour of the show. So much to get to. We're talking Braves baseball, game two of four with those Mets. We'll get to that coming up in just a little bit, but we are mere weeks away, less than weeks away to SEC football. I mean, Vandy, Hawaii is a week from Saturday. And if you were watching online, you can see BJ's reaction stoic, keeping those emotions suppressed. For Vandy, Hawaii. But uh, we've got a lot of SEC football to get to. Joining us, the host of that SEC podcast, SEC Mike. Mike Bratton joins us here on 3 and Out. Mike, welcome. How are you? Hey, doing great. Thanks for having me. Well, let's start in LSU. Uh, big news, Miles Brennan, done from, uh, from LSU, done with football. Uh, a guy that got a lot of NIL last year, didn't play, uh, and then was told not going to be the starter. How does that change things at all just to not have him on the roster as an option? Yeah, I think really the only thing that changes is uh, when no one wants to talk injuries, but if LSU suffers an injury, uh, Jaden Daniels or Garrett Nussmeyer, they're going to have a true freshman, Walker Howard, as the backup. So, I mean, that's potentially the biggest domino there, but uh, I can't say I'm surprised because Miles Brennan was not factoring in in this race as much as I, I wanted to see him play. I was rooting for him. Uh, this had been a, a two-man race there in Baton Rouge for the last week or so uh, heading into the season. Staying with LSU, uh, you know, Brian Kelly comes in, obviously a program that expects to compete for national championships. Uh, you have a lot of players coming in via the transfer portal, a lot of talent back. What are, what are fair expectations for the Tigers this fall, you think? Well, you talk to the people down there in Baton Rouge, they think, Ten wins, that's the standard down there. But uh, I'm not quite buying that. I think LSU is going to be, I don't want to say bad, because, you know, bad is relative in the SEC West. They could finish sixth, fifth or sixth, maybe even seventh in the West, and still have a top 30 football team. That division is just so tough. But uh, I think LSU is going to be a lot better by the end of the year than they are at the front. They, of course, open the season with FSU. That's a tricky game. They should win in New Orleans. But I think um, I think the standard will be lowered after the first conference game because they're hosting Mississippi State, really high on Mississippi State. I think Mississippi State wins in Death Valley. And if that happens, I think the fans will, will come to the realization that, uh, you know, they have a little bit more of a, a roster rebuild than they anticipate. Will Anderson, Bryce Young, bring in uh, guys like Jameer Gibbs, Jermaine Burton. Nick Saban said 2021 was a rebuild year for Alabama after winning the SEC and losing to Georgia in the national championship. So, Mike, how good, you know, should we expect them to be in 2022? Man, I hope you're not buying that rebuild talk. I mean, Alabama had the second-best roster in the country. They had the Heisman winner. They had the best defensive player. Um you know, that's just excuses from old St. Nick as we come to anticipate at this point in time. Just like Texas A&M finishes number one in recruiting, Nick Saban's got a problem with recruiting now. They, Crimson Tide got the number two class. So 
I ain't buying all that. I don't think Alabama's going to be this world beater like everyone else. I mean, I, I get putting them number one, but they still have questions at receiver, questions on the offensive line, and I ain't buying the, the hype around their defense being an all-time defense. Nick, Nick Saban's lost his edge a little bit when it comes to coaching the defensive side of the ball. I, don't, I think Alabama's going to surrender a lot more points than, than people anticipate. So that being said, Mike, who's the, uh, who's the, the, the number two there that's got the best shot of bumping them off? In the West or just the SEC? Oh, well, for right now, in the West. I like Arkansas. I think Arkansas is going to have a heck of a team. Uh, but, you know, everyone's got A&M circled there, and I get it. But I'm uh, just not a big believer in, in Jimbo Fisher being a championship-winning coach. I mean, he's uh, we've got to stop making excuses. He's in year five of a rebuild down there. I mean, I, I thought they were trying to chase championships in College Station. So, uh, I just don't have a ton of faith in Jimbo to develop a, an elite quarterback. But if if A and M has an elite quarterback this year, certainly they they could factor in that race. But like I said, I like Arkansas to be that number two in the West. How much volatility do you expect in the West? Because as you said, you know a team that some people may be overlooking Arkansas is really talented. I mean, how do we quite know what to expect from Ole Miss? How do we how do we know what to expect from Auburn? Texas A&M, I mean, as you reference kind of what, what's, what's happening there, I mean, do you, do you expect to have a lot of really good teams but maybe not a, 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 a second team that's great or a third team that's great? Kind of how do you see the rest maybe from the middle on to the back of the SEC West? Well, yeah, I mean, everyone outside of Alabama has got so many, I don't want to say issues, but everybody's got question marks and it's, It'll come down to how well they fill those in. But, the, you know, I, the team that I, I referenced, you skipped right on over, Mississippi State. I mean, they're very, very dangerous. They return more production than anybody in the SEC. Will Rogers already owns every passing record down there. He's only He's got two seasons of eligibility remaining. So uh, I think Mississippi State, throw them into the mix. And I, certainly those teams are going to beat up on each other. But I, I bet you at least one of them catches Alabama this year. So, I don't think Alabama, like I said, I don't think this is just going to run through the SEC by any means. I think uh, if there's one team that's going to be undefeated in the SEC, it's probably Georgia. Mike, how good do you expect quarterback play to be this year in the SEC in the West and in the East? I mean, you got Bryce Young, you got Stetson Bennett, Hendon Hooker, Will Levis. I mean, you got you know guys, you know all you know all you know all up and down. When you talking about which one of these guys, not named Stetson Bennett, not named Bryce Young, is poised to have the best season this year at quarterback? Uh, I go with my guy K.J. Jefferson there at Arkansas. It's a big reason why I'm so high on the Razorbacks. I mean, he he was phenomenal last year. I think um, even with losing trail on Burks to the NFL, Arkansas has got the uh, number one rushing attack in the SEC last year. They bring back four or five on the offensive line and three of their top running backs to kind of shoulder that load a little bit. But I think K.J. Jefferson takes his game up to the next level. So I think he's one not enough people are talking about. Uh, Spencer Rattler, watch every throw he made at Oklahoma. I think he's a, a major, major upgrade for South Carolina. I'm, I'm not one of these people that's on the Will Levis bandwagon thinking he's going to be a top NFL pick, but he's he's a solid quarterback in college. And uh, Anthony Richardson, I think, has massive, massive potential for the Florida Gators. So, I mean, this should be a heck of a year for quarterbacks in the SEC. You look at uh, the SEC East, it's Georgia. Defending national champs, they're loaded. They got uh, the quarterback coming back. They got 
uh, tight ends that are better than some teams' receivers. Where, who who challenges Georgia? Obviously, they're reloading a lot on defense. Is there anybody in the East, especially the later in the season it gets and guys get playing time, that can contend with Georgia right now? Well, I'm already on record. I think South Carolina catches them at home early in the season. So, I because I think South Carolina's going to be much improved, but uh, you know that would be a major, major upset, no doubt. I'm, I'm kind of on a limb going out that far, but it. it I don't think South Carolina can, can win the East or test Georgia overall. Uh, Tennessee, maybe, just because of how dynamic their offense possibly is. I mean, they get in, in a shootout-style game. You never know when uh, Tennessee would have to win the turnover margin by probably two or three to, to have any chance of beating Georgia and Athens. I don't see that happening. And, and again, I, I'm kind of lower on Kentucky than a lot of people, but who knows? Maybe if, they, if things break right, they host Georgia. That's that's a concern, no doubt. But I got the Gators number two in the East, which should kind of give you an indication of uh, how large that gap is between Georgia and the rest of the division. Georgia replaces just so much defensively, but so much talent coming back still. I know a lot of people said last season's defense, one of the greatest defenses in modern college football history. Do you expect this year's group to be to be close or? Do you think maybe there's a, a step back or two? What are you expecting from Georgia defensively? Yeah, I just think it's too, it's unrealistic to, to have them match what they did last year. I mean, I, I think that is the greatest college defense we've ever seen. So uh, even a step back, they could still be the SEC's best defense, and still it could be a step back. And, and I think that's what we're going to get. I think Georgia's offense, it, it's, at least it sounds like in camp, the offense ahead of the defense, which – not a major concern with everything they're bringing back on offense, but I think that's just a, an indication of not the rebuild, but the reload going on on the defensive side of the ball in Athens. Tennessee got big-time expectations this year. Hendon Hooker is, is going to be the guy. Coach Hyper, you look at what he was able to do with that team last year, uh, just really like uh, – more than supersede expectations. Do they sneak up on anybody? You know what type of offense they got. Can they play complementary defense? I know you say you got Florida second in the East behind Georgia. What do them Tennessee boys got something to say about that? Well, I think I think Tennessee can compete with everybody just because of that offense. And if they get red hot and that tempo they go at, the pace, um, yeah, like I said, even Alabama, even Georgia, I think they could be. Now, the problem for Tennessee is they just don't have the depth yet. I, don't, I really don't think they're, you know, they've got some star players, but uh, the drop-off between the star players and, and some of the, the other players on the roster is pretty massive. And, and the defense, well, I don't think the defense is quite as bad as people are making it out to be because they only had about 15 guys that they could trust last fall. I, I think they'll be a little bit deeper, but they're very, very young on defense. So, uh, you know, it, they're going to get in a lot of, out style games, but I just don't think Tennessee week week in and week out is going to be one of the upper echelons in the SEC. But they're going they're going to be kind of like Ole Miss last year, where hey, they could sneak up and, and beat somebody. Mike Bratton, SEC Mike, host of that SEC podcast, joining us here on Three and Out, and and Mike, a lot of talk about Tennessee, Georgia, obviously in the East, but what about the basketball school? There in Lexi, I know that's a bad word now, but uh, what about uh, Kentucky there? Will Levis, great quarterback. Uh, certainly, Coach Stoops has done a tremendous job of keeping them consistent. Are they in a position where if it falls right, I mean, they've played Georgia for the right to go to the SEC championship the last couple of years. Could they do it again? I mean, you could talk me into that, but 
I ain't buying it because they have to go to Florida, they have to go to Tennessee, they host Georgia. I think they're going to be massive underdogs in all those games. I think they're going to lose all those games. Uh, last time they played Ole Miss, they lost Ole Miss. Last time they played Mississippi State, they lost Mississippi State. They got to play those teams. Uh, South Carolina, again, I, I think they're going to be much improved. That game's in Lexington. I still am picking South Carolina to win it this year. So I think Kentucky's going to have a bunch of losses this year. Like I said, I'm not I'm not jumping on the Will Levis as a legit NFL quarterback train like so many others are because I've actually watched him play. Uh, I, I think Kentucky is a good team, but uh, the East, I think, is a lot more competitive than people are giving it credit for. So I, I actually got Kentucky fifth in the East. Wow, Mike Bratton, SEC Mike, our guest here on 3 and Out, host of that SEC podcast. Mike, appreciate the time. Thanks so much. Absolutely. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Mike Bratton joining us here on 3 and Out is a lot. I, I do think he's right there when he, when he said at the end. The SEC is going to be, I mean, outside of Vanderbilt, the rest of it is going to be more competitive than I think people give it credit for. Ben, your thoughts on him having Florida second in the East? You haven't heard that from a, from a lot of uh, pundits. I think a lot of people are putting everything on uh, Anthony Richardson when you see, because people... If he plays the way people you know, think he can, I think he could definitely help this team. But make no mistake about it, BJ, you were talking about, uh, you know, uh, what is Georgia defense going to look like? I mean, I think Florida's defense, they got it on all levels. I mean, they got Brandon Cox. They got Javon Dex. They got Ben Miller, They got Trey Dean. They got, they got Jason Marshall. And, you know, I mean, I think if those guys can go out there and just do the, do the small things with Coach Patrick Tony, you know, I mean, they talk about Mike Peter, They talk about Corey Raymond, the premier DB coach in the country. They, it's going to keep them in games because one thing you know, uh, BJ, with uh, Coach Billy Napier, they're going to run the ball this year. If you ever seen him coach, he believes in running the football, kind of going to get back to what Georgia used to do, what Alabama used to do, run the football, play action pass with a quarterback that can hopefully get you points in the red zone. You know, I think I, I still think it's going to be Tennessee's the window because they got a proven quarterback once he got in there. I think the, be, I think the guy with the biggest upside is Anthony Richardson. And I think Will Levis, I think he has a run game to go along with it. It's going to be very, very competitive because no one's talking about Spencer Rattler, and he might end up being the best out of the bunch if he get back to that vintage Spencer Rattler two, that we saw two years ago. Who knows? But the East, it is going to be extremely competitive. Yeah, a lot of good quarterbacks there in the SEC East. We've got more to come. Braves and Mets coming up uh, later tonight. We're talking Braves baseball. Good friend of the show. Bud Ellis is going to join us ahead of Game 2 tonight. It's 3 and out on the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Oh, man, it is Braves and Mets, part two of four in this four-game series coming up tonight. The Braves just uh, reached out and slapped the Mets around last night uh, all across Truist Park and took game one of that series. Need to see more of the same coming up a little bit later tonight. Joining us here to help break everything down that's been going on with, uh, with the Atlanta Braves. We called up another top prospect uh, today. No, it's not Louisiana Hot Sauce. Uh, veteran Braves writer Bud Ellis joins us. Bud, welcome to the show, man. How are you? It is great to be on, boys. How we doing today? Hey, we're doing fantastic. Obviously, the Braves needed that uh, last night in game number one. But, uh, but I guess we shouldn't be uh, anymore in, I, I think, professional sports just in general. But, I mean, amazing that Spencer Strider and Vaughn Grissom and Michael Harris have come up and not only played like they have, but continue to play like they have on a team that matters and, and perform key roles. I mean, we're seeing more and more young guys do that. In fact, you have three guys on one team uh, doing it at the same time. That's been nothing short of uh, unbelievable to watch. Yeah, I think, uh, I think maybe if there was a little more time left in the season for Vaughn Grissom, the Braves could very well have 
could very well sweep the podium for National League Rookie of the Year, first, second, and third place. And, hey, I tell you what, Vaughn Grissom's going to try everything he can, I think, to finish third with the start he's off to. You know, if you look at it just from the standpoint of being 21, 22 years old, coming up to the major leagues and having the type of impact that that these guys have. And, you know, we can get into all the stats and all of that. But, you know, I look at Michael Harris, and, and he's a guy who, from the seventh inning on, has a 983 OPS with six home runs. I look at Vaughn Grissom, and I see him take a six pitch, draw a six-pitch walk in the seventh inning on Sunday of a game you're trailing one to nothing and then an 11-pitch walk in the ninth inning as you're rallying to come back and win a game on the road. And then I look at Spencer Strider, who, since moving into the rotation, has a 3.33 ERA, and he struck out 105 hitters in 70 in the third innings. And, I mean, that in and of itself is impressive. But then you think about doing it for the defending World Series champions who are trying to chase down arguably one of the top two or three teams in all of baseball to win their fifth consecutive division title. And it's just mind-blowing. I mean, the, we, we talk about slow heartbeat and all the cliches. Well, all three of these kids have that. And if it weren't for these three kids, I don't think the Braves would be in shouting distance of the Mets for first place here on the 16th of August. And, Bud, you mentioned that. We're in a series here with, with, with the Mets where – uh, obviously, a lot is on the line, and you've seen young guys step up, have great moments. Where's this team at in terms of viably chasing the Mets? I mean, do you feel like you need three out of four here to be in a good position? Are you one of those that, I know Kevin jokes about this, you kind of anticipate the Met meltdown coming at some point down the line? I mean, how important are these next couple of games, and just how 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 invaluable have the contributions been from the young guys, the veterans, and what are you going to need moving forward in this series? I, I think, and, and you cannot expect to sweep a four-game series. And, and to say that after sweep a four-game series where you're going to face Max Scherzer and Jacob DeGrom in half of those games is almost borderline insanity. So with that said, I, think the, I, I felt coming in the Braves had to win three out of four. And when I look ahead at what the landscape you know, says over the final 40 games. You know, I don't think people realize for all the consternation about this Braves team not being in first place, I don't think people realize the Braves are on a 98-win pace, which would be the highest win total of the Alex Anthopoulos era. But the thing is, the Mets are on a 105-win pace. And considering they have four with Colorado, they have two series left with Washington, they have three games with Oakland. They have two games with Miami, three with Chicago, and four with Pittsburgh coming up. The Braves are going to have to play, and I know Braves fans don't want to hear this, the Braves really have to find a way to win two of the next three. And those three games, the, next, the penultimate series of the season, the first weekend in October, the Braves are probably going to have to win two out of three of those. And if you put those into the bank, you're still probably going to need some help, or the Braves are going to have to play basically out of their minds for a substantial stretch of the rest of the season. I don't see, unless Scherzer or DeGrom get hurt, or unless Kevin is right, and I'm at the point now where I'm not expecting the Mets to look down and realize their uniform says Mets and do what the Mets 
have always seemed to do when they've been good for the past 15 years, and that stumble, this is a really, really good baseball team. And, and, and what I've been trying to, to tell people, especially the last couple weeks, is I think the series in New York was a wake-up call. Last night was awesome. I was there. It was great. You don't have to win 13-1 to tonight or tomorrow or Thursday. The Braves have got to find a way to get at least two of these wins. You've got to take three out of four. You've got the Astros coming in this weekend to Atlanta. The Mets' schedule's pretty tough for the next week. But to viably think that you're going to win the division title, I think you've got to get two of the next three, and you're going to have to play really high-level baseball for the next six to seven weeks to have a shot at the end. But I know we already mentioned, I mean, you talk about the young guys, you talk about, uh, you know, Harris, you talk about Grissom, you talk about Strider. The fact that these guys get a chance to play the way they play in a culture with the, that the Braves have to where, no, they don't look like rookies because the pressure isn't on them the same. Yes, it's the pressure of being in the bigs. Michael Harris, as soon as he got called up, you know, oh, that's your that's your, that's your your uh, center fielder for as long as he want to be here. Now people saying, oh, what do you do with Grissom when uh, Ozzy comes back? And Strider, he had to deal with the fact that, look, you guys talking about my pitch count, I'm ready for it. The culture of the Braves is different than anybody you've ever seen. I mean, there was a Mike Soroka sighting on freaking social media. Like, you forget the fact, oh, dude, Mike Soroka plays for the Braves. Marcelo Zuna still can't uh, play in left field, and they still finding a way to get it done. How do you describe what Snit and, and Anthopolis have done? Because we just expect them to win the NL East when everybody knew it was going to be the toughest division of baseball this year. Yeah, I, I always think the, the late great, you know, Hall of Fame pitcher and longtime Braves broadcaster Don Sutton always had one of my favorite sayings of all. And I actually use it at work, and I've used it with my kids and coaching them growing up, and that's you have to be a curator of the culture, right? You have to set the culture, and then you have to have everybody kind of fall in line with that. And basically the culture of this organization, and this goes way back to – you know, the Bobby Cox, John Sherholtz days, and what they built that, you know, starting in 1991 is, look, if you can play, if you can help the major league team win, you're going to get that opportunity. You know, there, there's, there's not many teams that in the midst of a division championship run like the Braves had in 2005 would turn around and play 18 rookies and expect them to – you know, be successful. Well, that's what happened in 2005. You know, Jason Hayward, you know, has a great camp. Would have been very easy in 2010 to send him down, not start his service clock. What does he do? He comes up. He has a signature moment on opening day. Goes on to become an all-star. Helps the Braves reach the playoffs that year. And then, you know, we've seen it with Alex Anthopoulos. It's kind of the, the next generation of this. Alex Anthopoulos, the general manager, Brian Snicker, in the dugout. Braves need help. They can go into the minor leagues, which maybe isn't as high in the prospect rankings as it once was, because all those guys that had this as one of the top farm systems in baseball are now up here winning division titles and winning a World Series. But when they get to Mississippi, you know, the expectation is that phone can ring. When you, when you get the double A in this organization, you're a phone call away from being in the major leagues. And it's just the way the Braves do everything, you know, the way the minor league departments run, the way the scouting runs, the way the coaching and the roving instructors run, and just the way they do things that is instilled in these kids when they come into the system. There's a certain standard, there's a certain way they go about doing things. But at the same time, what's different from a generation ago is the game has changed. And I think the Braves have evolved that 
where guys aren't as buttoned up as maybe they used to be. And I love that. I love the emotion out of, out of Harris, and I love the emotion out of Grissom. First major league hits a homer over the green monster. Yeah, I would flip my bat, too. The way Ronald Acuna Jr. plays the game, I absolutely love that, and it drives me crazy when people complain about him showing emotion. Let that guy be who he is. And, you know, I, I think, you know, you, you've had people through the years in the organization who have kind of set the standard of what's expected. You know, you know Nick Markakis when the run first started, and Tyler Flowers, and certainly Freddie Freeman, and now, you know, it seems like Dansby Swanson is, is kind of that, that leader. But at the same point in time, these guys come up here, they're not expected to hit fourth, they're not expected to be the number one starter. They just need to come up here, do their thing, let their natural talents take over. And when that happens, their talents take over, and you see guys who just step right in seamlessly. They're comfortable, they contribute, and they help this team win. Bud Ellis joining us here on 3 and Out. Bud, uh, just big picture here with the Braves. I know a lot of fans are excited about, obviously, what they did last year, and the future looks very, very bright, and I know there's kind of this rep out there that the Braves and Liberty Media won't spend money. Well, that's obviously not the case uh, with what Alex Anthopoulos has said, but, uh, Bud, you look at the, the roster construction, and, and he's kind of done something that we haven't seen a lot of teams be able to do in this era of Major League Baseball. You either have a lot of prospects or you spend a lot of money to pay for guys maybe what they were but are still really good players. He's locked guys up on team-friendly deals. I think – of all the guys on long-term contracts, nobody's making more than $22 million in their peak year uh, of, of salary. Uh, you're able to keep guys together for a long time. He's getting deals done uh, with Acuna before they had to give him the money. I know people gripe that it wasn't enough, but didn't have to give him the money, gave him the money. Uh, talk about this team and kind of the myth that the Braves won't spend, and that's obviously what they're doing right now. Well, that's the thing. People say they won't spend because they want the Braves to go out and they want them to pay $35 million a year for a premium, sexy, big-name free agent. Well, when you're paying Austin Riley no more than $22 million a year through the year 2032, when you're paying Matt Olson no more than $21 million a year you know, down, you know, down through, I think, 2029, we know about the Acuna deal. We know about the Albies deal. I mean – I look at this this payroll right now is around 180 million, and I can tell you from firsthand experience, there have been plenty of nights this summer where you can't move in the battery and you cannot move in the ballpark. I mean, that is the place to be in Atlanta. And and throughout baseball, people talk about how the Braves have kind of become the gold standard with what they've built in that complex and the vibe. And of course, it helps to be the defending World Series champions. If you look around that diamond and you see you've got your third baseman and your first baseman and your right fielder and your second baseman locked up long-term and then talking about the kids, well, they're under club control for the next five, six years. So you don't have to do anything with them. You have some cost certainty there as well. Certainly arbitration numbers go up. And if Harris and Strider and Grissom, if this is an indication of who they are, they'll never hit free agency. You know, it, it is really remarkable in a day and age where, you know, just holding on to one or two guys long term chews up, you know, 60, 70, 80, 90 million dollars of your payroll. The fact that the Braves have, you know, so many key components of their, their roster right now either locked up on long term deals 
or they're so young that they're under club control to where you really don't have to think about a long-term deal for two or three years. And, oh, by the way, you're selling out every night. You're getting money from the battery. You know, payroll, I think, will be over $200 million next year. And even, even, you know, up until, you know, two years ago, I would come on this show and we would talk about, you know, Liberty Media and all of that. That narrative's been blown out of the water, just like the narrative that this team can't win a championship. Uh, and, and I'm really interested to see what they do in the offseason simply because they do have some money coming off the books. And, you know, it, it's going to be interesting, but they have enough money. In my opinion, they have enough money to go out and sign Dancy Swanson to a long-term deal. Then you have your entire infield locked up, which is crazy. And you probably have the money to go ahead and give Max Fried an extension as well, which he certainly deserves. And there's a lot of options out there for Alex Anthopoulos, and they're all really good options. And I'll tell you this, that, that, that machine that's printing money in the battery and at Truist Park, it's not shutting down anytime soon because this team is positioned to be good for quite a long time to come. But finally, I wanted to ask you about Charlie Morton. I believe going tonight five and five with a four two six ERA. What do you expect out of him down the stretch? And if the Braves theoretically were to get into a you know playoff series, uh, would it be Freed, Wright, and Strider in your mind? I mean, how would Morton fit into that uh, situation as well? You know that that is one thing that I that I keep rolling around in my head when you think about the prospects of not catching the Mets. Then you're looking at, you know, playing that best of three wild card series at home. If it was me, it would be hard not to give Charlie Morton a start because, I mean, he's been there. He's done that. He was a key part of winning a championship in Houston in 2017. He was obviously a key part of winning a championship here last year, although he got hurt in the third inning of his, his first World Series start. But at the you know, but at the same point in time, if you're just looking at who's had the best year, the best you know, who gives you the best chance to win, I don't know if Charlie Morton starts one of those first three games. Now, now me saying that here, and Brian Snicker announcing that as a playoff rotation are two totally different things. But I tell you, you, you talk about you know teams that hit the postseason, and I mean we saw with the Braves at times last year in in. During their run to the championship, and you know, okay, who's going to start Game Four of the World Series? Who's going to start Game Five of the World Series? You know, who's going to start Game Four of the NLCS? So, having great, having a depth of options is not a, a bad problem to have at all, and it's a problem that a lot of teams wish they could have in October. But I don't know. I think the next six weeks really, you know, kind of plays that out because. Kyle Wright threw 137 innings at Gwinnett last year. He's thrown 134 and two-third already this year. You know, he's down with a little bit of arm fatigue right now. Is that just catching his breath, letting his arm rest a little bit, or is there something else there that, that maybe impacts the way he pitches down the stretch? We'll have to see. But, you know, having a veteran guy like Charlie Morton in that rotation is definitely a good thing. Does he start one of my first three games of a wild-card series right now? If everything's even, I don't know. I'd probably have to lean to no because, again, Freed and Wright and Strider have been that good. But, Ellis, always a pleasure having you on the show, my friend. We'll talk soon. All right, boys. Take care. But, Ellis, joining us here on 3 and Out. We'll come back with more. Game 2 coming up. It is Charlie Morton against Taiwan Walker. Should be a good one tonight. It's 3 and Out, Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Charlie Morton tonight. 
BJ talked about a big start for him. He's been vanilla ice cream, right? He's just kind of there, kind of average. Five and five, 426. Needs to come out and show some of that uh, postseason. Charlie Morton tonight, and again, I thought the, the great thought there by Bud last segment, wake-up call when you went to New York, and it was awful. And you'd like, are you going to win 13 uh, to, to one again? No, but I would, I would hope uh, the Braves come out and treat this series kind of like playoff baseball. And if you can win tonight, again, draws you, what, to three and a half? You're within, you know, screaming distance of the Mets at that point. And you make it, as I talked to Ben yesterday, you've got to make him think about it at least a little bit. Well, sure. And, and I still think you feel like you can win the division. But also, as Bud alluded to, it's, it, it's very important to, if you don't win the division, be the first wild card team as well. So let's not forget, I know everybody checks the standings every day. But when you check the standings, take a look over at the wild card standings as well, where I believe Atlanta has built up a, either a five and a half or a six or a six and a half uh, game lead for first place. So that's important as well. Uh, but, yes, I mean, if you take two out of three, it's a much different situation than if you take one out of three uh, of the remaining three. It's a much different situation. And I think it's a big start for Charlie Morton. And, look, both you guys have said this. For Charlie Morton, who I think is what, maybe 37, 38 years old, is a veteran, has been around, I don't, I don't necessarily think you look at him for kind of what he does in May, right? You don't look at Charlie Morton and go, oh, man, you had a great – you have Charlie Morton on your roster for games like tonight and games like later in the year, and games like the postseason. Uh, so 5-5 five and five with a 4-2-6 is not great. You're right. It's kind of average on all fronts. But I think Charlie Morton, who's won two World Series and has been an all-star and has been in the league about a decade and a half, I think you look at him and say, hey, man, scrap all that. None of that matters. It's about tonight. We, we have you on this roster for tonight. We have you on this roster for when you get you know closer to the playoffs and I do think, to Bud's point, that experience is very meaningful. I'm very interested to see how he does tonight. I mean, Charlie Morris should come in and understand that, look, man, I don't want to be a weak link. I mean, uh, you talk about BJ. I mean, a lot of times guys are there for their veteran presence and what they mean to the ball club. But, I mean, when you, every, every game against the Mets just means more to everybody on this Braves team because that's who you're chasing. So, well, I know I know we get caught up in the you know, 13-1 and how well the rookies are playing, but it still comes down to starting pitching. No matter what, you can't run from it. Charlie Morton understands that. 5-5, five and five, I mean, it's, it's, not the, you know, it's not the greatest right now. As, as, <laughs> as Kevin said, he's vanilla. You know, he's, I mean, hey, he, he's, you know. Well, he has been. But, and, but, but, I, but I will say, pressure got to come from somewhere. I mean, just because guys are playing well don't mean they ain't putting the pressure on their back. I mean, we talk about how well Ronald Acuna Jr. was playing now. Well, this, I mean, when they had they when they had they run in the month of June, it wasn't because of Ronald Acuna Jr. When he finally hit the home run, uh, you know, we finally had that home and he kind of running around the bases looking up, saying, "Finally, I think that everybody on this team, everybody's not a star on this team, but you can, but you can have a star role. Charlie Morton's in a star role. You got to go out there and make it happen because Kevin, you know, just like I know." If the wheels fall off, they're going to go, oh, same old Charlie Morton. Or you can go out there and say, hey, man, I can still be dependent upon. Pitching in baseball is the hardest thing to evaluate because nobody's in that position like that. Like, look, man. You're I, a perfect example of why pitching is hard to evaluate, right? Professional Mets pitchers last night. Six innings, 13 runs. Darren Ruff, a dude on the bench throwing 55 miles an hour, two innings, yeah, one hit. not no, a pitcher, yeah, by the way. two innings. One hit, no runs. <laughs> Dude, I, I would, would you like to step in against, like, Darren Ruff? He's up there, like, throwing 50 you, miles an hour. Didn't, didn't Charlie Culberson have, like, a 2-5 ERA during his career or something like yeah, that with the Braves? Yeah, but he can throw, like, 8 into 80s. Like, Darren Ruff's up there, like, just lobbing it in there. 
Like, I think I, that's one of those where if you're like, hey, could you hit major league pitching? If Darren Ruff is pitching, throwing it in there at like 50 miles an hour, I have a chance. I don't know. I, I, you I, couldn't hit 50? If I, no, listen. I, I think you could. I'm saying, if, I'm saying if, 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 if I'm a professional athlete it, and, it's a and, 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 and I'm accustomed to seeing yes. 90, 95, 100, and then I go up there, first off, I'm already probably nervous I'm going to strike out and be on Sports <laughs> Center. Okay, then second off, like you said, the timing is so different. I mean, I think it would be tough. Well, it's supposed to be, but it, it was. But BJ, that's the thing too, right there. I don't. I don't even know if that. That's not even off speed. That's no speed. Guy just standing there going, "Is he serious?" Like, I mean, the catcher, like the catcher, When you look at it, when the, when the hitter looks at the catcher, the catcher's like, "Man, that's all he got." You know, when Strider just gave you, you know, nine straight pitches of hundred miles an hour. I, it's about it's about being able to feel your role in the moment, right? Charlie Morton knows. Hey, man, nobody's gonna feel sorry for you, Charlie. Why you play for the Braves? You got to go out there and get it done. Because that go freed, and I know everybody was going crazy with the Mike Soroka thing. Charlie Morton, like, look, man, I I just want to be able to say. All right, what mean, is the Mike Soroka thing? Because I, I must have. He, 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 I mean, finally, after two years, he's actually finna start. It's like. A he's not going to pitch in the yeah, He's not going to pitch. But, you know, he's actually going to go out there and they're going to let him throw, you know, to a catcher. I don't know if they're going to be, you know. I think he's gonna be, yeah, no, he's going to make a rehab at low, at low A ball. But, I mean, he's not pitching in the major leagues no, like, this year. Like, I mean, like, he hasn't pitched yes. in the major leagues in two years. So. Yes. I mean, but the fact that they say, hey, Mike, listen, we're going to put you on Twitter, man. People going to retweet and everything. Really? <laughs> yeah, man. Let people know, like, you're still a part of this ball club. And then Mike Fonavich called up and like, well, what about me? Hello? <laughs> no, nah, bro. We, that's the other Mike. But, yeah. no, I, I will say, for we always talk about playing for a team that matters. Hey, man, Charlie Morton, go out there and get it done because, you know, the boobers are already ready if you stink up the gym. Oh, uh, no, I, I think uh, – Truist Park's going to be fired up. We got more to come. It's three and out. Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Good to be back here. Three and out. Kevin BJ and Ben Braves coming up in just a little bit. About 10 minutes from now, we'll get you ready for game two. Charlie Morton against Taiwan Walker. And it would. I said it earlier. I'll say it again. I don't care. Mets fans, come at me. It'd be, it'd be, good, it'd be good to smack you around a little bit Boom. and just put you yeah, out of it. Put you out of me. <laughs> say it with your chest. You know. What I just... What frustrates me about playing the Mets, and I think Ben Ingram even mentioned this last night, is like how many of the little infield singles are like poorly hit but perfectly placed balls, like in between the infield and the outfield. Do they get I me? Mean, it's, it, it's amazing. And you know what? I mean, credit to them. I know the Braves have done it in the past, but to me, it's one thing when like Pete Alonso hits a two-run home run that goes 500 feet. You're like, okay. But then when there's a you know dribbler right between the pitcher and the catcher and that turns into a single, you're like, it's going to be a long day when that happens. And that, that actually happened last night in the Bra- with uh, Brandon Nimmo, I believe, first, first batter of the game, and the Braves were able to overcome that. Strider was able to settle in. You had some weather delays, whatever. But uh, I just think you've got to somehow prevent the Mets from getting those, those bloop hits or, or, or infield hits. You gotta leave no doubt. You gotta jump on them early. I mean, you want to you want to get you want to score runs in bunches. You don't you want to make these guys try to play catch up the entire game. And look, Mother Nature, I know you was not on the not on uh you know the brave side last night. Even though with, with the rain delays, no rain delays tonight. Jump on them early, young guys. Go out there and do what you do, Charlie Morton. Go out there and earn your check. Let's get let's get let's go two for two. <laughs> Appreciate you joining us here on the show, Bud Ellis and Mike Bratton. That SEC podcast joining us here. In the final hour, Jake Roos and Rich Stiles back in hour number two. And Aaron Kelton, head football coach at Savannah State, joined us back in hour number one. If you missed any portion of the show, 
ESPNCoastal.com, Apple Podcasts, Spotify. You can get our uh, audio podcast. If you want to watch us, see our smiling face, you can go to our YouTube channel uh, at ESPN Coastal. Uh, there on YouTube, you can find us and uh, catch not just today's episode, but if you missed any other show, uh, you can catch it there on our YouTube page, ESPN Coastal on YouTube. Braves and Mets, Game 2 coming up just a few minutes. We'll talk to you about it tomorrow here on 3 and Out.